Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. question what role should if you're doing your job whatever your job happens to be you're a lawyer you're an accountant you're a radio talk show host you're a writer you're a journalist you're a doctor what you're a teacher what role should your private life play in your employment for instance you know do you ever watch the show billions i really love that show billions They've stepped away from this storyline in the last few years, but the lead character on the show, he was the U.S. attorney, and I don't want to give anything away, but he was the U.S. attorney of the Southern District. Basically, the same job Rudy Giuliani had, the same job James Comey had, the same job Preet Bharara had, and it's a, one of the most plum prosecutorial assignments in the entire country. I, I mean, it's really, you know, not, pr- n- number one, Damian Williams is the... U.S. attorney in the Southern District now. But one of the, that character who's played on that show by Paul Giamatti is really into sadomasochism, right? He's into visiting a a dominatrix and getting beat. And I've never gotten that whole thing, but whatever. I don't have to get it. It's his thing, not mine. And he still does a good job as the U.S. attorney. Puts bad guys in jail, launches investigations, prosecutes people, does all sorts of stuff. A lot of people might find that weird, but should it affect his job as the U.S. attorney? Of course not. Now, I know we're talking about a fictional show, but what if you're a weatherman, a meteorologist, to be precise? Because there are weathermen and there are meteorologists, as you've learned from my conversations with Lloyd Lindsay Young in the past. And New York One is the all-news network in the New York area. It's a great Great channel. Dominic Carter worked there for many years. He made the station kind of what it is today, a behemoth in uh, local news. And then Spectrum, which now owns New York One, they've duplicated that New York model in other markets all around the country. They had a meteorologist by the name of Eric, I don't know if it's Adame or Adam or Adam, because uh, they have another meteorologist that's my go-to guy on New York One, John Davitt. And whenever we've done weather stuff in the New York area, he's always my guy to go to. But they have another guy named Eric Adam, and I've seen him on television before. He does a fine job. He's okay. He was fired from his position as the morning meteorologist on New York One. See, that's why I don't see him that much, because I don't watch television in the morning during the week. I'm asleep during the morning. He was fired 
for a leaked appearance on an adult camera website. He posted the news on Instagram on Monday, aiming to share his truth rather than let others control the narrative of his life. Noting that his psychiatrist has called his actions compulsive behavior and that he is, quote, not in a position to disagree. Adam wrote, quote, I secretly appeared on an adult camera website. Now, just for my own edification here, what is an adult camera website? And I'm not trying to act intentionally naive here. I don't don't go to these websites. Matt Blaze, I'm sure you go to these websites. What is an adult camera website? Do you have any idea? Uh, Yes. What is it? It is a website where you are in front of a camera most of the time showing off um, being (laughs) nude. Right. And so people pay you? People pay, or I mean, I'm sure there's free. So I don't. I do not go to these sites. Of course not. Yes, of course not. Never. Now I know there's Never. a. I know there's a site only fans, and then the right nude... only fans you pay right. that person. But there are other sites. But maybe... there are other sites where there's tons of people up there. Gotcha. Okay. And you just go and you're in front of a camera. All right. So um, this is what Eric Adam wrote. This uh, meteorologist who. Apparently was doing a fine job. Everyone says his weather forecasts were just as good or just as bad as everyone else's. And he was doing well over there. They would, they, he had a good thing going. He wrote, I secretly appeared on an adult camera website. On this site, I acted out my compulsive behaviors while at home by performing on camera for other men. It was 100% consensual on both our parts. I wasn't paid for this, and it was absurd of me to think I could keep this private. Nonetheless, my employer found out, and I was suspended, and then termination, close quote. He continues, first and foremost, I unequivocally apologize to my employers at Spectrum, my coworkers, my audience, my family, and my friends for any embarrassment or humiliation I've caused you. You expected and deserved better from me. I can't take it back, and I can't change what I did, but I am getting the professional help I need so I can make appropriate decisions that don't affect those I care deeply about, as well as my career as I move forward in my life. He made a point to highlight that while he he regrets his appearance on the website, he rejects any criticism that may come about his sexuality. As a public figure, I recognize that I have certain responsibilities that come along with the privileges that I've enjoyed. But let me be clear. About something. I don't apologize for being openly gay or sex positive. What is sex positive? Do you, are you aware I of that? Pro, uh, pro sex? Kenneth, you're, you're a young person. That sounds like a very young person term. What does it mean to be sex positive? I honestly have no clue either. Okay, well, neither do I. I, I genuinely I don't. I'm not, not apologizing for liking sex? Yeah, I think it's something else. All right, we'll, we'll look into that. We'll research that. Those are gifts, and I have no shame about them. He also wrote a plea to potential future employers, quote, please judge me on the hundreds, thousands of hours of television that I am so proud of and that my employers have always commended me for and not the couple of minutes of salacious video that is probably going to soon define me in our clickbait culture. He also filed a lawsuit against Unit 4 Media LTD to seek the identity of the anonymous user who leaked the content of him on the adult site. 
uh, the Daily Beast first obtained the litigation. He has been a meteorologist for Spectrum News since 2007. That's 15 years. Now, my question for you is very simple. Should this guy have been fired? 1-800-848-9222. The guy was a weatherman for 15 years. There's no indication that he showed up drunk. There's no indication, no report that he was doing these secret videos in the bathroom over at the cable news channel that he was working at. There's no indication that this this fetish that he had for showing off uh, videos of himself in a sexy way on this adult camera website, there's no indication that that had any effect on his job performance at all. So the question I have is, should this guy have been fired? What say you? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. That's the question. A question. Since before your son burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. I recognize that when you're in a public position, TV person, radio person, uh, newspaper writer, that when you do something that causes embarrassment for the company that you work for, they have every reason to fire you. My contract, I think, specifically has a clause for if I cause my employer public embarrassment. You know, it's funny. I don't think I'm, I'm genuinely serious here, and I hope I don't get in trouble for this. I don't think they had that clause in my contract until after they hired Anthony Weiner. Then I noticed when they hired Anthony Weiner, there were all these new clauses in there about public embarrassment and this and that. But that's okay. Okay, they have every right. They're an employer. But if you're a viewer and you care about the weather, or if you're one of this guy's colleagues, or if you're this guy's employer, the news director, or whomever, what difference does it make in his weather forecasts if he gets off on showing off on video for other guys, I think it's clear the instant the the it's zero zero. Is it a little embarrassing for him? Yeah. But he's not doing this on television. I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And look, I realize this is a, an unpopular opinion, perhaps. I don't think this guy should have been fired. This has zero impact and i don't know this guy he's not a friend of mine i don't think i've ever met him this has zero impact on his ability to do the weather on television so why should he get fired for this the dirty little secret is everybody's got a private life and there's something everybody does that's a little weird if you if exposed to the light of day maybe it's sexual maybe it's not sexual uh, in my case, I've been very open. I enjoy sticking uh, pens in my ear. Is that something that uh, it's going to help me get on television or stay on radio? <laughs> Probably not. And now, maybe that's not as embarrassing as performing on an adult camera website, but still, it's not the kind of thing that it's not the pro-social behavior that you want to advertise. I think this is a real shame here. I don't think this guy should have been fired. And um you know, if I had a TV station or uh, whatever, an entity that was in the weather forecasting business, I would offer this guy a job. Absolutely. This guy did a great job for 15 years. And just because some loser leaked what's supposed to be a private video, all of this is done by consenting adults. 
he should lose his job? I don't think so. I don't understand. Uh, see, uh, American society is so funny. On the one hand, we keep pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope, and we have uh, uh, popular songs about um, w- women's genitalia that are on top of the pop charts. We have uh, performers at uh, major sporting events and on award shows doing what looks like a very salacious striptease uh, on on network television. And yet, that's okay. We have, uh, you know, on cable especially, you can see nudity, you could see sex, you could see violence, which I happen to think is a lot worse than nudity. But then... We find out that the guy who does the weather has a weird sex life. It's not even weird. It's it's something that I guess it's a, a little um, out of the norm, okay? We find out that somebody has an unusual fetish. Oh, my goodness. We got to get him off television. He can't tell us that it's partly cloudy today. He can't get the forecast wrong about the rain. Let's get somebody else. Now, heaven forbid, if you're a weatherman today, you better make sure you're not going on any of these adult camera websites because this is the precedent now. So we have a schizophrenic nature in America. On the one hand, we're pushing the envelope on sex, violence, language, everything. And on the other, once we find out someone has a sex life, oh, no, 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 no. We can't do that. Gotta get him off television. I think this is really terrible. I feel bad for this guy. What do you think? 800 Eight four eight nine two two two. Whatever your p- opinion is, I would love to hear it. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Let me begin with the Fugazi Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Fugazi Tom. Hi Frank. Um, I'm with you. Um, I don't believe he should have been fired. But I want to say this first: if people are so undermined to show that, whether it was I don't know if it was supposed to be showed, if that's why I did it, but to show that to embarrass somebody, or, then you can't trust him not to somewhere down the line put his name on it, say where he works at. I mean, look how undermined they are now to do this. Well, no, absolutely. You know, to put somebody out there. And, 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 and um, yeah, the, the, the people um, who, who, you just can't trust him. You, you just can't trust him. And he, I, I agree with you, as long as he's not going to be broadcast on a TV Public viewing or something, why fire? If exactly. he's a guy in the back exactly. room, why fire? Ex- exactly, Tom. Thank you. I, ver- I appreciate that. You know, that's the thing. And that's why in my life, I have never, not that anybody really has asked for a salacious photo of me, but in my life, I have never sent a salacious photo of myself to anybody because you have to assume in this day and age that you and things being hacked and, uh, you know, cyber insecurity being what it is, that that image or that video could one day be public. And you you have to figure that's going to happen. And, I I mean, Eric Adams should have figured that. But there's no reason this guy should be fired, in my opinion. 800-848-9222. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. Yeah, yeah, there's a problem. I have a problem with the media. Uh, Bill Maher was on, uh, what's it called, on Real Time Bill Maher and uh, his his little, little program. Little HBO little program, little comedian guy gives political commentary and humor. And he has a kind of an attitude. He goes on to his museum that was, uh, didn't mention Jews founding the Hollywood Studios. 
But he was like, uh, well, Jews control this town, they control Hollywood, and they found all the Hollywood Jews. They mentioned in this Jewish, this, is, this Hollywood movie museum. So the problem is, you know, um, you know, um, Steve, what does this have to do with the weather guy? The weather guy basically was taken down because he's going. Oh, please. Okay. Uh, we usually don't get the um, overt anti-Semitic calls uh, this early. Uh, the, the, I, I, this has nothing to do with him being a Gentile. Nothing. Nothing. I, I, I'm sorry. 800-848-9222. Do me a favor. I'm in no mood. Today, if you want to bring any of your white supremacist or anti-Semitic stuff, save it for save it for another show. I just I don't have the energy. 800-848-9222. By the way, coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to go live to Italy and talk to Michelle Caruso Cabrera, who's now back at CNBC. She was a anchor for CNBC, reporter for CNBC for a long time and left CNBC to run against AOC, that was the infamous battle of MCC versus AOC, or AOC versus MCC from CNBC, and then uh, all of a sudden uh, she didn't win that election, and then she ran for controller last year, didn't win that, and so now she's back at at, uh, at CNBC. We're going to talk to her about what she's doing at CNBC, but what she's doing in Italy is very interesting. She is apparently something of an expert, expert on ancestry and genealogy, and there has been, and we've chronicled this before, such a boom of people exploring the issue of genealogy and ancestry. So we're going to get into maybe some tips that we can all learn from that. And then coming up in our second hour, the most polarizing segment that we have on this show. If you listen to this show, if you've listened for more than a week, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, well, then you just sit tight. 800-848-9222. Steve in New Jersey. Hello. Hey, Frank. Yes, Steve. Hey, yeah, no, I don't think this guy should be uh, fired at all. He did this on the adult channel, not on the Disney channel. He didn't do it like Pee Wee Herman in the movie theater. And, uh, you know, you had mentioned he had this fetish, something that's out of the norm. I also think there is no norm. Well, that's a good point. Who's to say what uh, what the norm is? If it, maybe I or you don't like, um, you know, performing sexually in front of a camera, but w- whatever. Just because we're not into it doesn't mean it's not the norm. That's a great point. That's a very good point. 800-848-9222. Mario is in Manhattan. Hello, Mario. Yes, sir. Uh, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Texans one. Sure, absolutely. absolutely. And he had a similar situation where he was fired from the radio station, uh, the TV station. He had some incident that had to do with, I don't know if it was pedophilia or something along those lines, but they, rather than to, you know, give him a a chance to go into detail, they fired him. So now this man did not do a Matt Lauer, like he fooled around with people on the show where he worked. He, uh, he had a dark side to him. We all have, every one of us ha- knows how poison. And he shouldn't have been fired because he didn't do anything that was that outlandish that embarrassed the station, but they should have uh, been a little more reasonable with him, and that's it. Well, and, and thank you, Mario. Um, my understanding, I don't think um, 
that there was any allegation of uh, pedophilia against Tex Antoine. My remembrance of the Tex Antoine situation, and uh, this is, I'm going to repeat a joke that was in poor taste back in 1976, and it remains in poor taste. So if you're offended by uh, jokes in poor taste, please tune out for 40 seconds. These guys at Channel 7 in New York, they would go out every day at lunch and get drunk. That was the norm. Right. They the report, the anchors, the reporters, the weathermen and Tex Antoine was a weatherman. They would they would get tanked every day. It was amazing to me that they would be able to do the news at six o'clock and and be able to stand. So Tex Antoine was coming on to do the weather and it was immediately following a story about the attempted rape of an eight year old girl. And Tex Antoine made a joke. Very poor taste. As a general rule, any joke that you make about an eight-year-old being raped is in poor taste. He said, um, quote, with rape so predominant in the news lately, it is well to remember the words of Confucius, if rape is inevitable, lie back and enjoy it. That's what he said. That's what got him fired. So he was not involved in pedophilia. He made a joke following a story about pedophilia on air. So Again, not that I have any, you know, Tex Antoine is dead for 40 years. He doesn't need me to defend him. And he was fired after that. Probably the right decision. There's a huge difference between what Tex Antoine did and what Eric Adam did. The big difference is Tex Antoine, that was his job. And he screwed up his job. You're not supposed to make rape jokes. You're supposed to do the weather. Eric Adam didn't make any rape jokes. He did all his sexual stuff in private. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to John in Freehold. Hello, John. Hey, what's up, Frank? Um, So I want to get better at the debate game, so I'm going to play the advocate here. I'm going to say he should have been fired. It's the right thing to do because now if, if it didn't get out and nobody knew about it, it'd be one thing. But because he's in the news, he's kind of – public figure you have children watching you have old ladies watching everybody sees him on tv so if anybody does like a google search on him they're going to see pictures of like his ding dong along with uh you know pictures of him in the news and stuff so i think the company doesn't want to deal with it then they'd have to hire someone to you know to uh edit the google searches and pay that and this Uh, that's what i think it's the right thing to do. Well, um, okay. Right, look, that's your opinion. Uh, I happen to disagree. 800-848-9222. Let me sell it to Igor in Fairfield, New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Yeah. Hey there. Greetings, Frank. Clearly, listen, there's a line between what you do in your professional life and what you do in your personal life. But I think when your professional life is this public and when the news person becomes the news themselves, I think it just can't be tolerated and the company has to just terminate him. I don't, I don't, I think that's the line right there. When you look at him, what's your first reaction? Are you thinking about this? It's not a matter of homosexuality or anything, what he was involved with or who he is as a person. But when he becomes a news, that's when they have to let, let him go. Okay. Well, you're saying so that his very presence on a news broadcast is a distraction and that would cause people to tune out potentially. No doubt. It's a business, Frank, as you know. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. That's fair. And I guess that's why that embarrassment clause is in there. Uh, by the way, our resident expert on sex positivity, Alex Barnard, 
has uh, messaged me that sex, according to Google, sex positive means a view of sexual activity as healthy, not shameful or perverse. Okay, there you have it. 800-848-9222. Howard is in Elmhurst. Hello, Howard. Hello, Frank. How are you? Okay, I wanted to... uh... I wanted to say, I think I agree with you. The only thing is, if you were a member of the clergy and you were accused of something sexual, that might be different. There was a, a cantor in Temple Manuel. He was he and his brother were accused of molesting a child. I mean, it, it could be lesser than that. It could be a, less evil than that. But if you're if you're in the clergy or something like that, then it affects your job. Well, you're right about that, Howard. Uh, and think about what you just said, right? And think about the situation. We're now comparing weathermen to clergymen, right? When I when I watch the weather, first of all, I don't really watch the weather. But if I were to watch the weather, I'd want to know what the weather's going to be. I'm not interested in a saint. I'm not interested in a candidate for pope. I'm not interested in somebody that's going to be my moral vicar. I'm interested in the guy that's going to tell me whether to bring an umbrella or not. And if this guy's sex-positive attitude prevents him from doing that, then get rid of him. But it's not. This played no role on his, in his job for 15 years. And I guess this is the society that we're living in. You know what this guy should do? He should go to France. Because in France, they don't care about any of this stuff. They, they look at us having these sex scandals, and they laugh. They laugh at us. In France, this is, just, this is, this is par for the course. Let me say hello to um, Gary in Inwood. Hello, Gary. Good morning, Frank. Uh, my opinion on this issue is uh, once your personal lifestyle, however it comes out and it leaks out, it's out there. And with that said, the audience, they're never going to look at this guy the same way again. You know, people saying that's him, that's him. He becomes a weatherman secondary. Uh, it, it should have never gone out there. The station has all the right in the world just to disconnect from this gentleman completely and get it out of there and erase it. And they can move on. But once it's out there, it's out there. And once again, they won't look at this man the same way again. I I hear you, Gary. And I guess that's what Igor was saying as well. My view is, who cares? If you look at him the same way or not, who cares? He still could do the weather, right? And uh, we'll give the last word before we go live to Italy to John in Massachusetts. Hello, John. Hi, Frank. I just wanted to add something that you said. You mentioned Tex Antoine and that situation. I remember that pretty clearly, and I, I really like watching him. He was very talented, I thought. But he, he, when that incident occurred, he said very clearly that he didn't realize that that story involved an eight-year-old child or a child at all. He said that that he did not realize that it was a child. Well, again, I don't really want to relitigate controversies from 1976, but I would just uh, add that as a general rule, it's probably a bad idea to make rape jokes, even about adults Agreed. being raped. I mean, uh, that's Agreed. that's kind of a no-win situation. John, thank you for the call. 800-848-9222. If you want to hold on, we'll, we'll take more calls later. We're going to go live to Italy, talk to Michelle Caruso Cabrera straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
Somebody that just loves to learn And another child grows up to be Somebody you just love to burn Mom loves the Sly and the Family Stone I want to thank as well we have, we have a whole you know heaven forbid we need information about the healthcare system or the tax code we will wait weeks to find out what the information we're looking for is but when we have to research something sexually forget about it people volunteer to dive headfirst into whatever amount of research needs doing and I want to thank um, uh, Donna from Huntington for informing me that Pensexuality, not pansexuality, but pensexuality is the sexual attraction to pens and pencils. Now, I want to say I do not believe I don't have a sexual attraction to pens or pencils, but there's just something about sticking a pen cap in your ear that is so remarkably satisfying. Um, but uh, big thank you to Donna for doing that research. Donna, Donna, as you can tell from her voice when she's called, she's, she can be kind of pretty sexy herself, I think. Now, um, we are trying to get a hold of uh, Michelle Caruso Cabrera. She's in Italy, and she, she's aware that she's got to come on the show. She retweeted us earlier, but um, I am, I'll tell you exactly what happened here. This is what happens when you do interviews in different countries. The time zones get screwed up. This happens all the time. It's happened to me, so... Who knows? I'm sure we'll we'll track her down and uh, we'll find out what uh, what she's up to and learn a little bit about uh, genealogy and ancestry. In the meantime, we'll continue to take your calls at 800-848-9222. As you can hear, I have a little bit of a cold. And so I woke up yesterday in the afternoon and um, my wife said, our whole household has a cold. Unbeknownst to me, my son Carmine, all of nine months old, actually in four days he'll be ten months old, all of ten months old, Carmine has a cold. This is his first cold. And uh, my wife has a cold. Carmine's babysitter has a cold. And so I'm, I was trying to figure out who patient zero was, and my wife was very eager to blame me because she likes blaming me for things. Uh, but uh, I think it was Lorraine, Carmine's babysitter, because I saw some photographs on social media. She was out with some friends of hers at rest- at a restaurant over the weekend. And it's those restaurants that are hotbeds of germs. So I'll tell you, that's what happened, is uh, Lorraine got a cold at this restaurant. She gave it to Carmine, and then Carmine gave it to his mother and me. That's exactly what happened. But... Uh, I mean, it's not serious, but as you could tell, I sound a little nasally, which I hate. I sound a little nasally even under the best of circumstances, but when I have a little bit of a cold, it's really just kind of annoying. It's, I'm not in any pain. I just have a, a runny nose, but uh, that's that. I'm hoping it's gone tomorrow, but everyone that works here, you've been warned. I'm not coughing or anything like that. Otherwise, you know what I'd do if I was coughing? I would stay home, which is good advice for everybody. But... um. I don't think, you know, see, there are certain people that have a cold and the whole world is affected. In fact, one of the best pieces of entertainment journalism ever is Frank Sinatra has a cold. And it was written by Gay Talese. Uh, and actually, then it became a book. But it was originally a profile for Esquire. 
And to this day, I think most people regard this as the best entertainment profile in history. From 1966, it definitely holds up. And I've interviewed Gay Talese about this. Uh, I'd love to try and get him back on the show. In fact, let me write myself a note. But he wrote a follow-up to this piece many years later called Not Interviewing Frank Sinatra. That's what the most interesting aspect of that story is, is he didn't even interview Frank Sinatra for this brilliant profile on him. But I think when I have a cold, pretty much the the only person that's affected is me, unless you're really irritated by my nasality, then in which case I suppose you're affected as well. 800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 Ninety-two, twenty-two. Uh, so we'll still take your calls on this New York one weatherman who was uh, who was fired for the leaked video of him posting to an adult camera website, completely consensual, completely adult. You want to comment? You can do so. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. John is on the LIE. Hello, John. Hello. Yes. Yes, John. Thank you, John. Uh, So, Kenneth, when John calls in on a phone line like that, where he sounds like he's calling from inside of a vacuum cleaner, you think to yourself, oh, that sounds like a good call. Let me let me put him on and uh, and think the the hundred thousand people listening are going to enjoy his uh, the way he sounds on that call. (laughs) So normally, um, yes, I would I would screen them out like that. But I thought that would make for good radio because I knew you were in a bad mood. There you go. Thank you. I'm not. I think I'm in a bad mood. I'm in. An, I have a cold. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Thank you. <laughs> I'm doing my John on the LIE impression. No, we do uh, the show from outside. Yes, yeah, right. That's right. Uh, Pete on Staten Island. Hey, Pete. It was great to see you at the softball game on Saturday. Thanks for coming, and thanks for your nice uh, contribution to Tunnel to Towers. Oh, my pleasure. And it was a great game watching you play. And uh, that slide into second base, that second baseman was great. You, you knocked it right down until I, re- I realized it was Rachel. <laughs> and now I got to see your beautiful son. And I want to say to everyone, to Curtis especially, he doesn't weigh 40 pounds. He weighs maybe about 20 pounds. He looks great. He's got your good features and your wife's great features. Really? And that, uh, that's a compliment. To thank you. you. Thank okay. you. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to add on uh, what we're talking about? Yeah, I did. I did. But, you know, I, we're listening intently, my wife and I. And, uh, you know, the show is so great. And a couple of points uh, you brought out what I was going to call about, like about the Tex Antoine thing, but like it is from seven, 1975. I didn't know it was an eight-year-old child. I know what he said was, you know, you, can, you never you never kid around about rape because – that's a serious thing. I mean, uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I, and, and again, yeah. I, again, uh, Tex Antoine's dead. Everybody that was on the Channel 7 news team at that time is dead. And, you know, it makes no difference what anybody's opinion about this is now. But uh, so, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time talking about something that we would be talking about if we were on the air in 1976. He did get another job after that. I think he um, I think he worked for Channel 5. 
briefly after that. I mean, obviously, he was never the same. He was never the same. You know what a great picture is? And I've talked about this before, so pardon me if you've heard this. But a great picture, and to this day, I think it is the best role Andy Griffith has ever played. And that's saying a lot, because I'm an Andy Griffith fan. Loved him on the Andy Griffith show. I loved him in uh, Matlock. I even loved him in that silly Leslie Nielsen comedy, Spy Hard. The best role that Les- that uh, Andy Griffith ever played is in the film A Face in the Crowd, where he plays Lonesome Rhodes. And I don't want to spoil anything for you in this picture, but I will tell you, in this picture, there's a prominent media figure, a guy that has a meteoric rise, and then he's befallen by scandal. And Walter Matthau, who's in this picture also, he says, yeah, you'll get another show, you'll get another opportunity, but it'll never be the same. And that's what happens when you come back with scandal. I think you're going to see this with, uh, with Chris Cuomo now. I mean, he's got another job, right? I don't think he'll ever be as influential and as popular and command the kind of audience that he did when he was on CNN in prime time. 800-848-9222. David is in Brooklyn. Hello, David. Hello, Frank. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, Eric Adame should not have been fired. You kept talking about Eric Adam. You got the guy's name wrong. Yeah, well, maybe it's a Freudian slip on my part because I think Eric Adams should be fired. Absolutely. But, uh, no, Eric Adame, uh, what he does on his own time with not hurting another person, consensual, shouldn't spill over into his profession. Exactly. Exactly. Now, what about what other people are raising, David, when they say, well, look, this is a distraction, uh, people are going to watch this newscast and they're going to all thinking about him doing all this sexual stuff. And that's not the kind of image that uh, a news channel like Spectrum News wants to put out. Well, that's on the individual. If they want to think about that, that's up to them. But if they want to watch the news, Eric Adame is a really professional newscaster, uh, weatherman. And he should, uh, I think he should go back to work. Yeah, uh, same here. Thank you. 800 You know what I'd love to do? I and if I if I somebody asked me recently, I think it was during one of the Ask Frank Anything portions of the show, what would you do if you had a media outlet, a TV station or a radio station? I'll tell you what I would do. Wall to wall, twenty four hours, nothing but people that have been disgraced or fallen out of favor. Give me everybody that's been disgraced. You know, um, give Matt Lauer a show, Charlie Rose, Eric Adame. Throw them all up there, you know, Louis C.K., all the disgraced people, give give them a show on on, on there. And, you know, he'll do the weather. I'm sure we could find some other. There's no shortage of people that have been disgraced um, that, that we can give a show to. I mean, think of how interesting that would be. Imagine the ratings there. I still probably wouldn't put Chris Cuomo on, but everybody else. 800-848-9222, George in the Bronx. Hello, George. Uh, yes, sir. Thanks for taking my call, sir. Uh, let's remember something. How soon we forget? This is America. It was built on two isms: racism and sexism. And there's a little bit, little, little bit, little bit of freaking everybody. Hello. That's right. So I, I'm not mad at that. Don't get me wrong. And it was consensual. And like I said, it's a little bit of freak. And and go back to calligrapher. Wait, wait, what was the word you last word you said? 
Caligliphor, the Greek guy that did the sex orgies and everything for the. I mean, oh, Caligula. Yeah, this country is built on racism and sexism. Hello. Well, thank you, George. I, I look. I recognize that um, that uh, when this country was founded, there were a lot of problems in terms of equality in the races. I don't think that the country was built on racism. I don't care to have that debate at the moment. But um, I think this country was built on a lot of founding ideals that we haven't always lived up to. And I think things like slavery and Jim Crow and things of that nature. That's not something the country was built on. In my view, that's an example of the country falling short of its own ideals. But uh, I think um, your broader point about um, there's a little bit of freak in everybody, that's true. That's true. And I think it's incredibly, I think it's childish for us to want somebody fired when uh, when their freakishness gets exposed. Pardon the pun. All right, 800-848-9222. We'll cover other issues in just a bit. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly. Side of Midnight, I'm Frank Morano. Uh, these are The Doors. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing, just join our Facebook group. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Interesting thing happened to me three years ago. I was uh, talking with John Katsimatidis, our owner, and I don't remember if this was a conversation that was on the air or off because we were doing some radio stuff back then as well. And he's going on and on about this film that he had just seen. It was August of 2019. And he's going on and on about this film that he's seen called Angel Has Fallen. And he's describing it as being riveting, exciting, a real action thriller in the best sense. So I say, all right, well, that sounds pretty good. I want to see it. So then I look, look up this film. This is three years ago only to find that this film is not just a sequel, but it's a sequel to a sequel. And the first one of these films came out nine years ago, something called Angel, excuse me, something called Olympus Has Fallen. And this is how long it gets me, it, it takes me to see a film. It's about, it takes me about nine years. In 2013, this was cutting edge, made $170 million at the box office. Everybody was talking about it. I'm just now getting around to seeing it. So I saw it this week in three parts because when I'm up sometimes with Carmine, I'll throw this on a, a motion picture or something. Really very interesting. Basically, the whole plot 
the plot is ridiculous. Uh, everything about this film is unrealistic. It's basically that there are some North Korean terrorists that take over the White House, and one lone Secret Service agent has to uh, save the United States and, by extension, the world. One guy. It's very diehard. It's very, it's very Rocky. Uh, not Rocky. Rambo. It's it's just like every other action movie that you've seen. Within 15 minutes, as soon as you know the plot, you can do pretty much the rest of the movie yourself. I have to tell you, though, as far as action thrillers go, I thought this film was terrific. First of all, there's some great acting in this film, and you wouldn't think of that for a for, usually for a um, an action thriller like that. Aaron Eckhart plays the president. He's great. Morgan Freeman, who's great in everything he's ever done, plays the Speaker of the House. He's great. The um, the Secret Service agent, the star of the film, Gerard Butler, he's terrific. And um, Angela Bassett, she's in it. Dylan McDermott, Robert Forster. I mean, it's a great cast. And it's a fun film. You don't have to think too much, but there are aspects of it that do make you think. You think, oh, could that really happen? Could that really happen? Oh, is that how Secret Service agents talk with one another? Or is that what goes on outside the White House? There is a lot of violence to it, a lot of people getting killed. So if you're somebody that's easily offended by people getting stabbed or shot or seeing things like the um, seeing monuments, historic monuments be blown up, then maybe this is not the film for you. But if you're looking for a film that you don't have to think too hard, that's fun, that's something to pass the time for 90 minutes, this is pretty good. It's available on Netflix. It's called Olympus Has Fallen. Again, I realize the time to be talking about this was nine years ago, but I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, and Have you seen this movie uh, by any chance? You saw this? I've seen them all. There's, oh, okay. there's well, three yeah, of them. Yeah, well, so uh, don't fill us in on the but other the, two Well, yet. they're the same. I'm I mean, sure they are, the, yeah. It's the exact same. Yeah, it's good. I mean, you, you suspend all actual belief in reality when you watch these movies, but that's any kind of movie. But yeah, they're they're good actually. Did you movies. see it, Kenneth? No, nah, I've heard of it, but never seen it. Yeah, yet. it's a, it's fine. It's it's great for what it is. It's good for what it is. I'll say that. Um, it um, it's captivating. It's fun, right? You you really and there are aspects of it that um, it does kind of tug on your patriotic heartstrings to some extent. I find. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Charles is in Queens. He's been waiting patiently. Hello, Charles. I've been waiting, but who says patiently? Anyways, <laughs> good morning. Um, what I want to say is I can go either way. I don't mean sexually. I mean regarding whether we should be fired or not. Now, you give a definition from wherever sex positive means uh, that believe sex is, is a healthy, um, whatever, healthy. Yes, okay. I don't think anybody would argue with that. That doesn't mean that it should go public you call it private no if he does it on the internet it's not private it's public now what counts really in my opinion I'm, i i am ambivalent whether we should be fired and first of all we have cans for culture that fires you because 33 years ago you said something risque about black people or jews or whatever 33 years ago and now you're fired i mean that's sick so is crt it's a child abuse perversion you name it but this is not so terrible what he did, but what really counts is not the crime or, or the wrongness or the stupidity or foolishness. 
What really counts, I believe, is whether the um, the people that are hiring him feel it'll affect their program. Yeah, now, well, that's the thing. It would, for example, somebody's watching and and, uh, and she sees him and uh, honey, honey, uh, Mike, come here. This is this is the guy I was talking about. Remember that sexual thing on the radio? This is the, the camera thing. That's what. I, and then they they both look at each other afterwards and they say, "What is the weather?" I, you know, hear the weather because I, I, see, they're busy discussing who the guy is. I, so it would affect the people. If they're just turned off by the sexual thing, then they're wrong. But if they feel it will affect the program, it's within their rights to get rid of them. Well, of course, nobody, nobody's question. Thank you, Charles. Nobody's questioning it's within their rights to get rid of them. Nobody's saying they shouldn't have a right to get rid of them. The question is, should they? My answer is no. And um, as far as it being a distraction, do you remember when all that stuff came out about Marv Albert, right? Marv Albert, the uh, longtime sportscaster, announcer for the New York Knicks and everything, came out that he was into all sorts of stuff and and some potentially potentially considered violent to some extent. But people got over it. People didn't stop watching the Knicks games because Marv Albert was the commentator. People wouldn't stop watching the weather because Eric Adame was doing it. If anything, I think this might cause more people to tune in. To see the weather. The, what he should do now, since he's already, already been out there and he's been fired, right? He should go and get an OnlyFans page. He can perform on OnlyFans. He can be naked and he can do the weather. Well, that's not a bad idea, actually. And he'd make, you know how much money he would make on OnlyFans? Especially now that he's like a celebrity to some extent. Do you remember that, that girl, the Danielle Brajoli, the Cash Me Outside girl? From the Maury Povich show? Uh, no, I don't, actually. She was this girl. She was like a crazy teen, and she was threatening people in the audience, and she went viral. Dr. Phil, right? Oh, uh, Dr. Phil. Yeah, it was Dr. Phil. I think Maury's Dr. Phil. And uh, she went viral, and they signed her to a record contract, and she's made all this money for being an out-of-control teenager. Wow. Well, when she turned 18, she went and opened an OnlyFans page. She made a million dollars in like seven hours. Wow. And now she charges $24 a month for her OnlyFans. She's made $50 million. That's, that's crazy. So this is what no Eric Adami should do. You know, I agree with you. Well, you know, to your point, the thing, and we talked about this with Boris Johnson, what's he going to do next? And then turns out he's going to have all these opportunities. The, the Almost the most important thing these days, and I'm not saying this is a positive, I, it's just descriptive. In terms of being able to make a living, the most important thing these days that you need to do is be well-known. Famous or infamous doesn't seem to matter. You can leverage that into making a lot of money, whether it's uh, doing these cameo videos or doing OnlyFans or writing a book or being a media commentator. Um, That is, unfortunately, if you want long-term financial solvency – it's name recognition. So if you want to help me build my name recognition, I'd appreciate it if you'd follow me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. All right. The most polarizing segment on this program is mere minutes away. If you want an opportunity to win a prize by debating some other listeners, call right now. As we do the other side of Governor's Island, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Until next hour, in the words of the greats, Bob Barker. 
Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Like a lot of people, and especially like a lot of people on the radio, I feel that I have many neuroses. I think I am a psychiatrist's dream, right? One of my many pathologies is I have an almost insatiable desire to be liked, right? I like getting along. I know now that's not unusual, right? Most people like to get along with people. I obsess over being liked by everybody. Kills me. Kills me when there's somebody out there that that I know doesn't like me. Really, really um, drives me crazy. But while that's my sort of primary modus operandi, there is, you know how you have an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other? There is a part of my psyche that relishes being the bad guy in wrestling. (laughs) A guy that walks into a crowded arena and hears the chorus of boos and just says, bring it on, go ahead and boo louder. Love it. (laughs) Love it. So, for the last three weeks... I would say, when we've tried to do this segment, the reviews have been, I will say, six against for every two in favor. We are bringing back the other side of Governor's Island. And I know a lot of you hate this, but for those of you that hate this, the best way to get me to continue this is... To keep complaining about it. And yeah, and I will keep doing this forever. Now, next week, we uh, we so far we have had three winners. And I thought last week went pretty well, where we had uh, Gino from Brooklyn as a winner. And we're, we're going to do next week is we're going to invite the three winners from the previous three weeks and whoever wins today to join me in studio for a full hour, maybe even the full show. And we'll we'll debate all sorts of issues. Now, the way this works is for the first two people, and if you want to play, even if you don't want to be in studio next week, if you want to play and you end up being the last surviving panelist here, you will get a complimentary Other Side of Midnight T-shirt. You can start queuing up if you want to debate. 800-848-9222. I'll let uh, former Governor David Patterson explain the rule, explain the rules as he purloined them from Alex Bennett and how he adapted them to his own radio show when he was on the radio. He's former New York Governor David Patterson. What I would do is I would ask people to call up and to pick a topic that they wanted to debate. And after the two debated, um, whoever the winner was would stay on. 
And then the next caller could call with, so let's say the person that won the debate was the person of po- political uh, philosophy that's conservative. The next caller calls up, and that caller takes a very conservative position, forcing the champion to debate, let's say, the more liberal position. So it was a test of how well do you understand your adversary? If necessary, could you state your adversary's view uh, accurately? And the exercise, I thought, was particularly interesting because – uh, boy, there was a woman, I remember her name, Cheryl Blue, hmm. a serious conservative woman, African-American, but she would flip on the dime. And you would, and when she got finished, she thought AOC was talking. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, I think, a two-time champion of Governor's Island. So that's what we're looking for, people who know how to debate. So in the first round... We're going to, I will pick the topics, and I will assign the position. So it doesn't matter if you're conservative, liberal, or non-political. You could be the most conservative guy in the world, and I will say, you have to defend the position that there should be um, taxpayer-subsidized marijuana for every American. And it doesn't matter how liberal or libertarian you are, I will assign the other guy the position, you have to take the position— that um, marijuana should be illegal in all circumstances. Doesn't doesn't matter how you actually feel. Then whoever wins in the first round will take on uh, whoever calls up for the next round. And that person who calls in the next round, they get to pick the topic and they get to pick the position. And if you're sitting in the winner's circle, whatever, whatever your actual position is, you have to argue the opposite. And uh, it take, it's taken us a few weeks to get the hang of this. Last week was our best week yet. I've been a little disappointed at the quality of some of the debaters because we have some great debaters in this audience. Uh, David in the Bronx, formerly David in Huntington. We have uh, Steve in Manhattan. We have, um, you know, Jennifer in, in Boston. People that really, I mean, they go to the wall defending their position. It's easy to defend your position if it's what you believe. But if you have to debate a position that you don't believe, that's a challenge. So the winners of each round are determined by majority vote. The three judges are Kenneth, Matt Blaze, and yours truly. And um, usually we agree, but sometimes we we disagree. And if we disagree, whoever the majority is wins. Now... A couple of people complained that um, the first couple of weeks, we it was not really fair that the winner maybe could win one round and somebody that won only three or four rounds, they didn't get to win. So we've established a minimum threshold that if you're going to be crowned the winner of the other side of Governor's Island, that you have to at least win three rounds of debating. So you can start queuing up right now, win your opportunity to be in studio next week, or... Win a complimentary T-shirt or both. 800-848-9222-1234. Six open lines if you would like to participate. Alex Bennett was on with Governor Patterson. They were talking about the original incarnation of this idea when it was King of the Hill. I was thinking of you because there was a little exercise that I used to hear you do back at WMCA, which I thought was amazing. 
and it was a kind of king of the hill where you would have a caller, two callers debate an issue, and then the winner had to stay on and debate the next caller on whatever issue they uh, brought up. So in other words, you might have the same caller, the same person debating both sides of an issue in one of these segments. And I thought it was a great exercise for people because if you're really going to debate people, you have to have some understanding of what your adversary is feeling. People were not just sent from hell to debate right. you because they're inherently right. evil. And uh, now I um, uh, co-opted your uh, your idea and called it Governor's Island when I was on <laughs> WOR. Who would rule over Governor's Island? And, and now we have the other side of Governor's Island. 800-848-9222 if you want to play. Let me give you some of the reviews that we've gotten so far. This is all from the Facebook group. Mike Lilly. Might be the only one, but this debate thing Frank is doing is such a dud. Not really riveting. Does it get better? Question mark. Daniel Hans, please pre-screen contestants during business hours and pre-arrange their appearances in the OSOG debate contest. These people are ill-prepared to state their position and advocate for it. Uh, Jeff Schilling, oi, Frank Moreno, I am trying and trying to listen to the debates but this is not keeping my interest due to poor topic selection, lack of talented debaters, and the obvious lack of passion in the contestants arguing their cases. Um, David Hans, Frank Moreno's instruction, or Daniel Hans, Frank Moreno's instructions for the debate contest are so confusing, this is going to be a blank show. Um, so there we have it. 800-848-9222. If you think you have what it takes to be a quality debater, start lining up and uh, prove some of these naysayers wrong. Now, this is exciting. This is a man that I've been waiting to step onto the other side of Governor's Island for quite some time. This man has been a talk radio debater for 30 years under seven different names. The original, Steve from Manhattan. Hello, Steve. Yeah, why don't you make it 50 years? I just want to let you know, at 1 a.m. this morning, I stopped calling all the sports shows and all the national sports shows because I will not be on the air with another show when you're on the air. I appreciate that, Steve. I, I don't and, need the competition and ratings. I know, and I know the, the panel is going to throw me off right away, but you're going to kill the whole thing and, and stuff. And plus, let me just tell you something, Frank. You stick things in your ears. You know you can come down with vertical, right? I know. I, I know. I'm trying to cut down on that. All right, but we'll, we'll put the ear situation aside. Um, all right, stepping in for the first round. Uh, now, the thing I wonder about Steve, to people listening, the thing I wonder about Steve is Steve is very good on arguing the typical paleoconservative arguments. If you get him off those, can he argue the other side? That's what I'm eager to see. 800-848-9222. Um, stepping in uh, to, with the first round against Steve is Al in Yonkers. Hello there, Al. Hi, Frank. Good morning to you. Uh, thank you very much. Good morning to you as well. All right. Uh, our first subject is going to be should we ban homework? Al, your position is going to be we should ban homework. Steve, your position is going to be we should not ban homework. Al, go ahead and explain why we should ban homework. We should ban homework because there's a quality time during the day in school where it's a sufficient time where you could do the work uh, in a structured environment with the instructors there uh, to take care of that. And when you come home, you don't need to do homework because you need to rest 
uh, have some leisure time to watch TV, unwind mentally and physically, maybe to go out and play with your friends, and to forget about the school work. Uh, that should be done during the day, and uh, you don't need to have more homework at night because there's other leisure things as young adults that you should do. Steve in Manhattan, explain why homework should not be banned. You know, you're talking to the guy who never did homework in his life. I was a book tosser. I tossed the books. I go out and I play sports all day, all afternoon long until I came home. I can't make this argument that you should do homework. I never did homework in my life. Uh, all right. I mean, that's a pretty easy round. I think we give that one to to Al in Yonkers. Uh, <laughs> Al in uh, in Yonkers. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Steve. Yeah. Again, I don't think. Uh, see, that's disappointing because Steve, if you were an odds maker, he would have been a heavy favorite to do well in this contest. I don't think people get. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. You still have to make the argument. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Al wins round one, and uh, stepping into the other side of Governor's Island for round two is Fugazi Tom in the Bronx. Fugazi Tom, go ahead, pick your topic. Oh, um, why the the city has to step in and do something for the homeless? Why the city should make an effort to take care of the homeless in the subways? Is that a good enough topic? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, okay. Oh, I'm going to start? Okay. Um, as we see, um, these people are hurting people. You know what I'm saying? They are hurting people. This has been going on too long. The, the city has, has ignored this problem for years. I've never seen it enforced too good. I mean, and why? And is it just to criminalize these guys? They got to hurt somebody first before they're taken care of? Because we know they are mental, and they're not too responsible for what they do. They have to be taken care of. We are citizens. We need the protection. All right. Uh, Al, uh, so um, you can go ahead and make the... Uh, I'm not sure what specific policy Fugazi Tom was arguing for, but you're welcome to go ahead and try to argue the other side of that. Yeah, I think uh, what Fugazi Tom was trying to say that is the city should do more. Uh, the city is doing enough right now. It's adequate with the uh, monies they have to help the homeless, the emotionally disturbed. Uh, and uh, financially, they can't do any more because the monies isn't there. So I think for what Fugazi Tom wants the city to do is to do more. Uh, unfortunately, they can't right now because of budget restraints. And again, to reiterate, uh, the monies aren't there. And you've got to have outside help from private organizations, homeless groups that Christian uh, Christine that Quinn runs, okay. and situations like that where you get uh, private organizations to also help. All right, Fugazi, Tom, your, your retort. Um, he's saying that the city is doing enough. Maybe he hasn't been in subway lately, okay? Because all of downtown, midtown, it, they're all over the place. I mean, I understand that uh, we're not going to spend a billion on them, but it don't take that much. These guys, you know, they are all over the place. I don't see where the city is doing really anything. They got a, a shelter system that's probably crowded now, but these people belong in some kind of a, a hospital or some place just mandated for them. They have to get some help. I don't see where the city is doing anything to help them. 
All right. Uh, Al, go ahead. We'll give you the last word if you want. Unfortunately, uh, the United States for two, year, two years ago was in a pandemic. Uh, we've just come out of that again. Uh, we, the money, you know, we've ha- we hit a, a, a brick wall there. And fortunately, things are starting to get better right now. But to go out and spend monies that we don't have on programs to help the homeless, we can't help everybody. Again, we have to have outside help from private organizations, such as the uh, group that Christine Quinn runs. Uh, Monies are just not there. So I think uh, because of the pandemic, uh, a lot of things are restricted right now financially. All right, okay. We can only do what we can. All right, uh, Matt Blaze. Al. Uh, Kenneth. Mr. Al. I got to go with uh, the consensus on this one. All right, I'm with Al as well. Hey, do you think you have what it takes to out-debate Al? Call in. You can pick the topic, 800-848-9222, and whatever it is, you could say the designated hitter rule should be banned because of blank. You could say uh, climate change. You should. You could say we should ban zoos because of blank. You could say uh, student loans should be totally forgiven because of blank. Whatever. Just pick a position. doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Pick a position. Argue in favor of it. Al will retort, and that's how we're going to do it. 800-848-9222. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven open lines if you want to join the other side of Governor's Island. If you win, if you're the last man or woman standing, you will not only get a complimentary Other Side of Midnight t-shirt, but... You will join us in. Um, you will join us next week, next Wednesday, in studio. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Well, if you look in the history of human civilization, there was Diogenes, there was Abraham Lincoln, there was Richard Nixon, if you were listening on radio, Uh, some of the greatest debaters in history now may have Al in Yonkers joining their ranks because, as it stands now, There is a paucity of people willing to debate Al in Yonkers. If you think you have what it takes to out-debate Al in Yonkers, the 21st century Daniel Webster, the modern-day Aristotle, the 
Westchester Henry Clay, then give us a call at 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Now, we, I just received an SMS text message, and if you want to uh, send me an SMS text message from, you, you can do so at 8168Morano. Just received an SMS text message from Gino in Brooklyn. He says, look, if you need a candidate, if you need a good debater, I'll call in. And I said, nope, Gino, that would be the equivalent of right before the rumble in the jungle where George Foreman was going to take on Muhammad Ali in a world championship fight, uh, you know, world championship uh, fight. That would be the equivalent of watching a sparring match between those two individuals three days before. I'm not going to do anything to undercut the gate for the potential Al in Yonkers versus Gino in Brooklyn matchup that we're looking forward to next week. Uh, by the way, <clears throat> as we wait for some folks to queue up to take on Al in Yonkers at 800-848-9222, I do want to tell you, you know who you should be listening to on football picks? Yours truly. I was informed yesterday that uh, because of the Buffalo Bills win on Monday Night Football that I won... Our um, football pool this week. There's a football pool that I'm in with like 20 or 30 other guys where you just, it's very simple. You pick the most, uh, you pick each team with the point spread in each game. And then if there's a tie, you pick the tiebreaker, the number of points cumulatively scored in the Monday night game. I won yesterday. Now, I don't pretend to be an expert in football. I don't think, I don't know that I could name more than 20. NFL players, but I won. So from now on, uh, every Thursday, I may share my picks with you so that you can win the football pool that uh, that you're in in your own household. But that certainly was uh, very exciting. 800-848-9222 if you want to take on Al in Yonkers. Uh, Al, what's your uh, debating secret as we queue up people to uh, to take you on here? I, I think my debating secret is just uh, I'm, I like to read a lot. Okay. So from All reading, right. uh, you know, reading the reading a lot, uh, you know, keeps me informed on current events, and I like to always watch what's going on uh, nationally, especially with the political scene. All right, all right. We're going to try. We're going to see if uh, Charles in Queens has what it takes to take you on, Al. Charles, uh, topic, please. Go ahead. Okay, I believe very strongly that Biden and Europe should not renew the Iran deal, which was uh, done in 2015, I believe, with um, um, Obama's president and Biden as vice president. And uh, Trump undid it in, I think, May 2018, and it should stay undone. Okay, and go ahead and tell us why. The reason why I feel that way, is that it? Yes. Okay, the reason I feel that way is that Iran, even according to the U.N., is the number one terrorist state. Terrorist state. That's all they do is cause havoc uh, with Israel, with all the Sunni Arabs, meaning the Gulf states, which is Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Egypt, Jordan, and so on. And they're going to get billions, I think, of dollars, which they got last time also, which they're not going to use for the people in in their country to help them because inflation and everything else. They're going to use it for terrorism. 
It's insanity, literally, and it's also is a direct danger to Israel and to America. All right. Because uh, they have already, I believe, the ICBMs or whatever it's called, intercontinental ballistic missiles that can reach with nuclear, and they're so close to the nuclear bomb that it's... All right, right Charles, let, let's give Al an opportunity to, uh, to respond. Al, uh, Charles says that the Iran deal should not be renewed. Explain to everybody why he's wrong. Al? Al? Did we lose Alan Yonkers? All right. Well, uh, Alan Yonkers was on a roll. I hate to, uh, I hate to lose him. Uh, we'll give him a second to. Uh, we'll, we'll give him a second to. Uh, Al, to Al was actually back. telling me he was having phone problems with his lines. So oh, all right. So if Alan Yonkers calls back, we'll give him uh, an opportunity to. We'll count his previous win, but uh, otherwise, we're going to have to give this round to. Charles uh, by by default and you know default can be a pretty impressive thing those of you that watch the Simpsons you remember when Homer was in a competition with uh, with uh, another friend of his another barfly uh, it was uh, Barney I think and Barney was a uh, basically your classic drunk and he goes through this astronaut training and then all of a sudden Barney stops drinking. Turns out Barney's a smart guy. He's an in-shape guy. He's on top of things. And then it comes time to pick which astronaut is going to go to space, Homer Simpson or Barney, and this is what occurs. Gentlemen, you've both worked very hard, and in a way, you're both winners. But in another more accurate way, Barney is the winner. Congratulations, Barney. It's very gracious of you, Homer. Please join us in a toast to the mission. It begins. Give me the stop it, Barney. No, no, Barney. No, no, no. I don't understand it. That was non-alcoholic <laughs> champagne. <sighs> well, Homer, I guess you're the winner by default. Default? Woohoo! The two sweetest words in the English language. Default, default, default. So we may have to give this round to Charles. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Al and Yonkers is back. Now, Al, I hope this was not some attempt on your part to get extra time to counter no. Charles's incredible argument. Uh, no, not at all. As a matter of fact, it was, uh, you know, I'd mentioned it to Kenneth earlier, uh, you know, because I didn't charge the phone. I should have. Mm-hmm. Well, can you hear me now? Yeah, I hear you. All right. So Charles made a very compelling case as to why the Iran deal should not be renewed, while the United States participation in that deal should not be renewed. Explain to folks why he's wrong. He's wrong because if you continue to isolate Iran, they're going to be uh, desperate, and you don't know what they're going to do. It, it could be bring. It could be unpredictable. Uh, what you need to do is bring them back to the table uh, by by putting them uh, away and again isolating them. You're going to destabilize the Middle East. The Middle East is already destabilized. So what we have to try to do is do what Obama, John Kerry, as Secretary of State, did is to bring them back to the fold and to try to negotiate a settlement with Iran 
where they could one day possibly sit down with the uh, state of Israel like Egypt did uh, back with the Camp Davis Peace Accords in the late 70s. So, again, you do not want to isolate them. It's going to be counterproductive. Charles, why is Al mistaken? Totally mistaken. First of all, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Egypt, all these countries, especially Saudi Arabia, is going to race to get the atom bomb, to get the, the nuclear warfare, warfare too. Also, Iran is, doesn't want to sit down. This is a religious garbage. This is religious. They argued already one or two thousand years with the Sunnis, the, the um, Iranians or Shiites, because whether there was 11 imams or 12 imams, that's what they argue about in fighting for thousands of years. Obama believing that we can talk to them is liberal nonsense. They, according to IAEA from the UN, they lied. Everything they've been uh, doing everything they can to get the centrifuges. They're liars. You can't believe a word they say. Factual, according to the UN. All right, and Al. The number one terrorist station. Okay, let's give it. All right, Charles. Let's give Al an opportunity to respond. The Iranians do want to sit down. That's why there is negotiations right negotiations right now between the Biden administration and Iranian officials. They probably will possibly meet during UN week, possibly the Iranian foreign minister to try to meet and bring a settlement on these uh restrictions these uh that have been brought about during the Trump administration. Uh, it is wrong. It is going backwards. And again, it's going to destabilize the uh, Middle East. And we know the Middle East has been destabilized for so many decades. And uh, Charles, very back. quickly. Got to move forward. Okay, Israel has been saying clearly they will stop Iran from having the bomb. Israel does not yet, the way I believe, have these, these bum, bunker busters to, because Iran has been cheating all along. And all they want to do is cause chaos. They're okay. going to get billions of dollars to kill innocent people. All right. I'm uh, talking Arabs as well as Jews as well okay. as Americans. All right. Uh, let's, see, uh, let's see what our, our panel thinks of this one. Uh, Charles or, or Al there, Mr. Matt Blaze? I go with Charles. Kenneth. You can call him Al. I'm going with Al. Oh, so, I, you know, I thought they both did really well on this one. Whew. Ah, I, I am uh, I'm very conflicted here. I um, I'm going to go. I, I, I thought Charles did a very good, very good in his first round. I'm going to go with Al and I'll tell you why, um, because I thought Charles's opening salvo was very persuasive. And I thought um Al did a better job in responding to the arguments specifically that Charles was making. Like, Charles was giving basically talking points as to why they should not renew the Iran deal. But he didn't do a good job rebutting, in my opinion, what Al was uh, was saying. So I'm going with, I'm going with Al on, on yeah. that one as well. So uh, Al goes on to the next round. Uh, David in the Bronx, topic please. Yes. Uh, after 50 years of a drug war in which we've spent billions of dollars, it's clearly failed. I think it's time we should consider legalizing all drugs. Okay, and go ahead. Explain why. Well, uh, people are being subjected to impure product, which is resulting in a lot of death and uh, people going to the hospital. We could take the money 
that we would use from the taxation of drugs for treatment and education. And we already have things legal like alcohol and cigarettes, which kill tens of thousands of people every year. So what's the difference? Okay, Al. Um, David wants all drugs to be legalized. Explain why that's un- unwise. That is unwise because we would be living in a chaotic society. The streets would be wild. You'd have emotionally disturbed people all over the place, high on drugs, uh, doing things that uh, would be uh, unforeseen. I mean, it could really be dangerous to people. Uh, You would have people high driving cars and uh, causing chaos. So, again, if you were to legalize drugs, uh, the society, the streets would be dangerous and it would be a chaotic situation. All right, David, go ahead. You can have the last word to respond. Okay. To go to exactly what he said, we already have chaos. Anyone who wants illegal drugs in this country can get them within moments. You can call someone and have them delivered because I know someone who does that. So this notion that legalizing drugs is going to cause more problems is nonsense. We already have all these problems. Why don't we legalize these drugs so that they can be regulated so people aren't getting fentanyl in their heroin or whatever else they're taking and use this money so that we can redirect police from stopping people from selling drugs to actually taking people who are causing problems off the street. All right. uh, Matt Blaze, what do you think? David. Uh, Kenneth. I'm going to go Al. Are you going to go Al? Uh, you know what? I got to go David on this one. I thought Al did a great job today, as he as he always does. But uh, I think uh, David was, uh, I mean, look, uh, the challenger is always at a bit of an advantage because you get to pick the topic. But I think David was um, more, not only more forceful in bringing up more data, but I think he, same thing as before. I think he did a good job responding to uh, the other callers, uh, the other callers' point. So both well argued, but uh, I'm going with David. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If you think you have what it takes to beat David, Allen in the Bronx. Topic, please. Yes, uh, my topic is uh, should or sh- uh, the NBA season be shortened or not? And I would like to argue that it should be shortened. Okay, explain why. Okay, I think the NBA season should be shortened because. Right now, at the uh, 82 games that they play, it's a terribly long season, and we start having our stars of teams doing things called load management, which keeps them from um, playing games. They take nights off, which in turn is not fair to the fans who come out to watch the stars and watch the team, and um, it makes um, for you know a lot of uh, in- injuries through the long season. And by shortening the season, we the stars get a play. All the games, you cut down on injuries, and you get more of a meaningful uh, season. All right, David, uh, explain why the NBA season should not be shortened. Well, uh, this is a problem for me because I don't follow sports and I'm blind, so I'm going to have to concede this to the other person. Oh, come on. Give it it the old college try there, uh, David. All right, so he's arguing – He's arguing that the basketball season should be shortened. Right. Okay. Well, there's TV contracts involved, which are very lucrative, I'm sure, for the networks. There are millions of basketball fans who would be extremely disappointed if the season was shortened. And I'm sure many of the players 
who were heavily invested and spent many years prepping for their career in basketball would want to continue the season so that they could show off their talents. David, I mean, okay, that's uh, David's point. Alan, go ahead. What's your retort? Um, my retort is is um, that the showing off their uh, as far as showing off their talents by shortening the season, they actually in turn get to show off more of their talents because they're like I said, there won't be any of this old management stuff. All the players will play the game, will play in the games uh, every night, and the teams and players will take every night more meaningfully because the shortened is season, so they have less time to make an impact, put up their numbers, and show off for the uh, fans and you know the basketball world. All right. Um, all right, Matt Blaze, what do we think? I say David. You say David, uh, Kenneth. I think David, too, actually. You know, so do I, actually. Oh. And that's why uh, you got to really, you're always got to give it the old college try. All right. Uh, we'll take um, a quick break. If anyone has what it takes to take on David, if anyone dares, then uh, you can give us a call, 800-848-9222. Otherwise, we are going to have to... Uh, Give David a Homer Simpson and declare him the winner this week. 800-848-9222. Where, where are the hardcore right-wingers that uh, that always argue with me if I deviate one centimeter to the left of Tom DeLay? Where are they? 800-848-9222. Where are the champion debaters from high school? Or where are the um, forensic champions? 800-848-9222. Zero. Other side of midnight. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718 718- 418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. songs about Mickey Mantle of all time. You know, and seeing what Aaron Judge is up to, um, it brings back a lot of memories for many New York baseball fans of what was going on in baseball back in 1961. Even um, Ralph Nader, you know, yesterday. Maybe we'll talk more about that later. Well, I must say, I am um, disappointed in you if you are not David in the Bronx. Because you do not have the gumption or the will to take on David in a test of will. So I guess that means our winner for today is David in the Bronx. David, congratulations. Well done, David. Thank you. I, 
I have to tell you, I was really uh, taken aback by the basketball thing, but you have to think fast on your feet to uh, keep this thing going. This is true. Now, the thing that I'm sorry about, I know you're left of center. I am sorry that we didn't get to hear you in a position where you had to defend more right-wing positions, but maybe we'll do that. Uh, Maybe we'll get an opportunity to do that next week. Are you able to come in next week? Yeah. All right, good. All right. Uh Dave, give um give uh give Kenneth all your information. We'll be in touch, okay? All right, thanks. All right, hang on. Uh take David's information. We'll send him a shirt and we'll uh, or a hat or something and then we'll invite him in next week along with uh the uh, two gentlemen from Queens who won the first two weeks and Gino in Brooklyn who won last week. Should be interesting. We're going to come up with some fun stuff. Now we have four good debaters. In studio next week, we'll come up with some fun stuff to do. All right, breaking news here. We have found Michelle Caruso Cabrera. We have searched high and low the hilltops of Italy, and we have found Michelle Caruso Cabrera. So she's going to join us in about uh, in about 13 minutes. So those of you that are Cabrera-holics that are tuning into this program only to hear her discuss ancestry and genealogy, you're in luck because she will be here in uh, in about 13 minutes. So uh, that is something to look forward to. Now, uh, in addition, <clears throat> I had quite an adventure. You, you know, they say a lot of great discoveries are made by accident. Penicillin, champagne, a number of other things. And such was the case in the Morano household on Friday. Last Friday, I was trying to, because I was trying to discourage my wife from the process of cleaning out my office because I just hate it. I just don't want to be doing that. She wants to throw away everything. I want to save everything. Sort of a, an immovable, an, an unstoppable object versus an immovable, an immovable object against an unstoppable force, right? It's, it's just a recipe for disaster. And my mother-in-law is staying over next Sunday into Monday. So uh, it's going to be a disaster next week, this whole thing. So I was trying to do as many other chores as possible. So a couple of weeks ago, I notice there's a lot of flies in the garage. I guess that's because we keep the garbage in there. We keep the recycling in there. And during the summer, that's where flies are going to congregate. And now, I don't know why I said anything, because I should learn my lesson at work. Whenever you make a suggestion for, hey, maybe we should do that. Whenever, whenever you do that, the boss usually say, oh, great. That's a great idea. You're in charge of that. Why don't you go ahead and do that right away? So you learn your lesson very quickly to stop doing that. <laughs> so... So um, that was the case in the Morano household. So Rachel, um, I suggest that she order some flypaper. And I said, I'll put it up in the garage. And then I don't really get around to it for a long time. And she is not letting me forget it. Every time she walks past this flypaper that she purchased, she said, you know, you told me to buy this flypaper. It's still sitting here. Been sitting here for 10 days. So I said, all right, Friday. Let me put up this flypaper so maybe Rachel will be so excited that the flypaper is up that I won't have to clean out my office. Now, it turned out to be an ill-conceived plan. Uh, My wife is five steps ahead of me in the human three-dimensional chess that is the Morano marriage. So um, I still had to clean my office, and it was I'm still traumatized by it. So, But I'm putting this flypaper up. 
And I guess, you know, it had been a while since I put up Flypaper. I guess I didn't exactly put it up um, according to the book. There's a very certain way that you have to untwirl it. And the first roll of it, you know how Flypaper is. It's sticky. And that's how flies get caught in it. The first roll of it, I didn't do a good job of it, admittedly, because I don't do a good job with anything. It's not intentional. It's just my nature. And so I end up touching the sticky parts of the flypaper and getting my hands all sticky. Now, eventually I got that roll up and I got three other rolls up. And right now uh, our garage is now a fly-free zone because of the flypaper. So my hands are now incredibly sticky. Really just just disgusting. I I mean, I I could have been like one of the sticky bandits. Anything I would touch, things would stick to me. It was almost like Magneto. So I said, all right, well, I got to do something. So I washed my hands, get a little soap. I love the soap that we have. It's a rosemary and, uh, and something scented soap. It's a great soap. I think it's a mint. It's a mint and rosemary soap. It's great. We're using that again. Damn the price. We don't care. Any, any money's no object when it comes to this rosemary and mint soap. So I'm washing my hands. Doesn't work. My hands are still sticky. So I said, okay. I know upstairs I have rubbing alcohol. And I remember that I had two different varieties of rubbing alcohol. I know I had alcohol swipes, and I know that I had um, like a spray bottle of rubbing alcohol. So I find the alcohol wipes. So I use the alcohol wipes. They're just about all dry. They do almost nothing. Almost nothing. And so I'm looking in this wicker basket. In our closet, in our in our bedroom closet, I'm looking around. I'm looking around for this bottle of rubbing alcohol. I can't find it. And what's worse is that um, what's worse is that my hands are sticking to everything, and I'm getting now particles of everything that I'm touching in this wicker basket on me. So I said, "All right, there's got to be something in here that I could use." And finally, I come across a bottle of aftershave that I haven't used in probably four or five years, maybe more, maybe maybe closer to six years. The aftershave is a bottle that's almost entirely empty. It's a bottle that um, has a little bit of product left in it. I don't know if it's a cologne or an aftershave, whatever it is. The, the aftershave was Trump success. And this is a fragrance, it's from, you know, Donald Trump's company. This is a fragrance that they launched back in 2011 for men. I probably bought it in 2011. Trump success. And I said, all right, let me, uh, let me use this on my hands. And, it, you know, my thinking was there's alcohol in it, like there is in a lot of colognes, a lot of aftershaves, and it'll unstick my hands. And it does. It does. But now I have aftershave all over my hands. So what do I do? I splash some of it on my neck, splash some of it on my uh, my face, and now I, I'm newly aftershaved. Lo and behold, I go downstairs, and my wife is looking at me like I'm a new man. She says, what, what, what is that scent? What are you wearing? And I said, well, and I explained to her exactly what I just explained to you. She said, I love that. Never smelled that on you before. 
this is, she says, I like that a lot more than the fragrance that you normally wear. And the, the fragrance that I normally wear, women and men go weak at the knees for the fragrance that I usually wear. People stop me and say, what fragrance is that? What fragrance? And it's super expensive. Um, way more expensive than it's worth. People, in fact, stop wearing this because they don't want to every day because they don't want to spend the the cost of it. So Rachel goes so far as to say, you got to do me a favor. Whenever you're going to be out with me, whenever you're going to be around me, you need to wear that fragrance. Whenever you're going to be at a work function that I'm not at or out with somebody else, wear whatever you usually wear. <laughs> so she was quite a fan of this uh, of this Trump success. So now I have to order some more of this Trump success because Rachel was so was so taken with it um, because, uh, you know, it's it, it does have a nice scent. But uh, I still prefer the fragrance that I normally wear. But, um, you know, whatever. It's uh, Rachel's opinion that matters most on uh, on this one. All right, last thing I want to mention before we run out of time, uh, run out of time. Now, you can make the same stock investments as your member of Congress. Does that sound like a good deal to you? Well, thanks to a new pair of ETFs, uh, that's a electronic trading fund, I believe. Thanks to a pair of new ETFs tracking congressional investments, there, there's going to be a creation of funds that comes at a time when everyone, from Elizabeth Warren to the, your cab driver, is beefing over potential conflicts of interest raised by members of Congress trading stocks. The options flow platform Unusual Whales... And this is all true. This I know this may sound like it's from the Onion or something. This is all true. The options flow platform Unusual Whales is planning two ETFs divided along party lines. Ticker NANC for Democrats and KRUZ for Republicans. Both will build portfolios based on the 300 to 600 investments disclosed by lawmakers and their families. It's like a masterclass that... Speaker Pelosi and her colleagues didn't want to teach. Unusual Wales said that the goal of the funds is to let people follow Congress's investments without having to dig through the disclosures. Congress has traded and gained for a long time, and uh, what Unusual Wales is saying is it's time for the market to have a product that encapsulates that as well. The ETFs highlight a growing interest and frustration, quite frankly, with lawmakers' stacked portfolios. There was recently a New York Times investigation that found about one in five members of Congress purchased stocks that could be affected by the work they do on Capitol Hill. The investigation also found that legislators from both parties made some very eyebrow-raising trades. Listen to this. In 2020, Democratic Congressman Alan Lowenthal's wife sold Boeing shares one day before Lowenthal's committee released a damning report faulting the company for its two deadly crashes. Shockingly, the stock cratered and the wife made money. And of course, the congressman's spokesperson said the trades were made without the couple's involvement by his wife's stockbroker. Please. 
Republican Representative John Rose sold $100,000 to $250,000 worth of Wells Fargo shares in 2019 while sitting on the committee that was investigating the bank for fake accounts. I mean, so it's likely going to be a few months until the ETFs are official due to the regulatory process. And while multiple bills were introduced last winter to address congressional stock trading, we probably won't see any big moves on that front until after the November midterm. So if you want to if you want to invest like a Democratic member of Congress, you can do that. N.A.N.C. If you want to invest like a Republican member of Congress, you can do that. K.R.U.Z. Those are the ticker symbols. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm an independent and I have every confidence that these lawmakers are going to invest in a manner that helps themselves. I'm going to buy both. I am putting all of my available money into both of these funds. And if these lawmakers are going to make themselves rich, I am going to make myself rich in the process. So we'll see where it goes. I'll keep you posted on it, but I thought that was really interesting. Michelle Caruso Cabrera, we have tracked her down. She will join us live from Italy in mere moments. In the meantime, in the words of the great Barry Farber, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. the office. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. The Office is uh, a classic comedic television show. My wife has this on all the time. My friend, uh, my friend Rich and Danielle, they're a couple that we're friends with. It's on in their house all the time. My siblings watch it all the time. It's one of those shows that I think for a lot of people, it's sort of comfort food. Uh, they just keep it on in the background the way I keep the radio on in the background. And they'll, doesn't matter how many times the episode has aired, they'll, they keep it on and they watch it. Or they, maybe they watch it, maybe they don't watch it, but it's on. Well, um, there's a, a rest, there's a, a uh, pizza restaurant in the, the office called Alfredo's Pizza Cafe. And there's a very funny episode in the office when they're trying to figure out which Alfredo's they, uh, they order from. It's in Pennsylvania which is where the office takes place. And a couple of weeks ago, a waitress received a very large tip. The waitress was named Mariana Lambert. July 13th, she was on WNEP talking about receiving a $3,000 tip. card everything went through properly and you know they took his id and you know took pictures of everything so you know they waited a little bit to make sure that it was legit and went through and then ended up being real it really did mean a lot to me because you know everybody's going through stuff so it really really touched my heart (laughs) yeah 
I still can't believe it. I'm still in shock. I know how it feels when you come in, even if you get like a little, you know, a little bit extra. It really, really means a lot. Well, what if I told you that the tip of a lifetime, that $3,000 tip, was just the tip of the iceberg? I'll tell you about that in uh, just a little bit. But first, we have uh, tracked down Michelle Caruso Cabrera, uh, CNBC contributor, formerly the chief international correspondent, live in Italy. Uh, Michelle, uh, the last time uh, we spoke, we were talking about um, the benefits of uh, going back to work in person. Uh, I guess, you know, your next column might have to be about the benefits of working from Italy. Well, I, I am doing some uh, reporting on, uh, you know, gathering information about the big election that's happening here on Sunday. But uh, I'm also here to do some genealogy work uh, for my family ancestry, which I, I do a lot of. Now, that's uh, that's pretty neat. And that's something that uh, has exploded in popularity in in recent years. Just so people people know your lineage, uh, what is, I mean, obviously I know you're Hispanic and I think the first Hispanic woman ever to run for New York City controller. Um, what is your, your lineage? How far were you able to trace back your own family history? Yeah, so my mother's Cuban and my father's Italian. And uh, on the Cuban side, I've gone back to the 1600s. And uh, on the Italian side, I've gone back to the 1700s, depending on which arm, you know, because they're they become many as you end up having great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents and then great-great-great-grandparents. Um, so, yeah, many, many generations. That's incredible. Going back to the 16th and 17th century, there, um, there, was, a, um, there was a story a couple of months ago that um, most Americans can't name all four of their great-grand—excuse uh, me, of their grandparents and only a minuscule— portion of Americans can name all of their great-grandparents, but you can go back all the way five, six hundred years? Yeah, I mean, could I name them off the top of my head? No, but I would open up my family tree on Ancestry.com, and then I would be able to show you, because it really... You end up having so many names uh, as you know. Women get married, in particular, and things change over the you know through the decades. So yes, I could sit down with you and we could go step by step, you know, link by link, and show you who's from where and, and the underlying documentation that goes with it. What do you attribute the surge in popularity of genealogy research in recent years to? Well, I I think particularly for Americans, it's because we we all come from immigrants. Right. So when I'm here, I'm here in Gaeta, Italy. Right. It's two hours south of Rome. It's an hour south of Naples. And I have uh, met here uh, half a dozen second cousins that I knew of on my tree but hadn't met. Now, their family, they're still here in Gaeta, Italy. My family left. Right. Um, but we all share the same great, great grandfather. And because they're here, they know they, you know, their their ancestors walk these same streets. So they're very kind of familiar you know, I think they, they see it as an oddity that Americans are really into this. I, I did a little genealogy work in Paris once when I was there uh, covering an election there. And, you know, there's one my, you know, small arm of my family that was from France. And when I sat down with the uh, guy who runs the cemetery, he said French people never come here, only Americans. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's because we're, you know, we, we can, because we can't go back that far in the United States. Do so you have to really... You know, if you want to know, you really got to go find it. 
as um, opposed to it being passed down, you know, word, you know, orally here. So, in terms of the uh, the uh, ancestral research leg of your trip, you're there to meet family members that you were aware of the existence of, but that you've met, never met in person. Yes, and then what I also do is um, there was a local genealogist that I contacted in advance to help me find records, and and then, you know, he gets you photocopies of the records, but. What I'd like to do is go to the original municipality where the records are stored and then photograph them myself so you can see the original paper, the original ink. They're much easier to read. I mean, old records are hard because, one, they're in a foreign language. Two, they're in an old foreign language, the same way we kind of struggle to read old English sometimes. You know, I mean, imagine old Italian, and then it's sometimes faded. So you have to first have them transcribed by somebody who's familiar, and then you um, then you have them translated. Uh, and then that's how you, you get your information for your tree. Um, give some t- and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Michelle Caruso Cabrera, a uh, CNBC contributor and uh, former chief international correspondent at CNBC, joining us live from Italy. Give us some tips on um, how people might be able to begin this these efforts in their own life. The first thing you have to do is speak to the oldest members of your family and find out, get a hint of what you're looking for. Um, Because you want to know, tell me about your parents, tell me about your grandparents. Do they have brothers and sisters? What can you remember? You want to talk to every member of your family to see what they remember. Because then then you can build, you know, kind of skeletal tree. And then that's when you start. Then you join any of these websites, you know, uh, there are many of them. I use Ancestry, but there's also MyHeritage. There's several that are free. And then you build them online. I like building them online because then there's this real collective experience out there where other people that are your kind of distance relatives will also be on there and, and you can find each other. And the, the key thing to remember is if you want to go really far back, you have to go really wide. What that means is you want to find second cousins and third cousins and maybe even fourth cousins because you don't know – what piece of paper or photo got handed down by a great-great-grandparent, which which of their children kept the photos, mm. and then which of their children's children kept the photos. So sometimes you have to go to distant people to get stuff that's related to you. In addition to just using Ancestry or some of these other genealogical websites as uh, research tools for records and looking at uh, who was who in the census and uh, this and that. Do you have you done the DNA uh, testing aspect of these genealogical websites? Oh yes. And uh, did you oh, meet yes. new relatives through that? Um. No. Uh. Yes. I. I, I have. I have met new relatives. Um. That way. Um. The the DNA is super helpful for finding other people online. Um, you know, ancestry in particular, you know, DNA, there's different DNA tests, right? If you take 23andMe, you're probably more likely interested in your health. But if you take an ancestry uh, DNA uh, test, you're probably more interested in your genealogy. And so there's this self-selection group that happens of people who are looking for each other. So, yes, I have. In fact, you know what? It's funny that you asked me that. I just found a relative in the Bronx uh, who's Cuban. 
uh, who I, I, I hope to meet soon because uh, it's part of my Cuban side of my grandfather's family that I haven't been able to really figure out because he was abandoned by his father. Wow. Uh, so there's not a lot of detail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. It, it's um, it's a shame that uh, you didn't know that relative existed when you were running for office in the Bronx. That could have been another voter. <laughs> Um, talking with Michelle Caruso Cabrera. Now, my my wife, uh, I got her uh, the uh, ancestry membership a couple of years ago as a, as a gift, and she swabbed uh, her her DNA, her mouth, and did, submitted her DNA sample, and she met an aunt, her father's sister, that she didn't know existed. It's a, a half-sister of her father, and now they have a, a great relationship. They've met a bunch of times, and she considers uh, this woman her um, her aunt. And um, I can definitely see the benefits. I've always been a little leery of handing my DNA to a corporation. And then my hesitation was significantly amplified when they were able to catch the Golden State Killer using a a relative of his having their DNA submitted to that website. What can you say to people that are skeptics like me about handing their DNA to an anonymous corporation, not knowing what they're going to do with it? Yeah, so... um... The Golden State Killer wasn't um, caught by a commercial website. It was caught by he was caught by a nonprofit website, where um, some of these platforms don't really delve into. You can really um, start to dig into DNA if you're looking for a very particular line of your tree, and so they've started this nonprofit website where you take all that data, which. Anytime you submit your DNA, you can download your own data and then upload it to other places. So I have uh, uploaded my data to that uh, nonprofit website as well. So that's where the police found it. It's not the commercial organizations that did that. Um, the other thing I would say is, yeah, I thought a lot about this. Um, I, you know, it's a trade-off that I'm willing to accept. Um, and I also, when I think about where I want to store my genealogical data, I want to store it at the place that has the most capital, that's the strongest financially, because I want it to endure for a very long time, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so that's – and the other thing is, um, in the Wall Street Journal, I'm pretty sure just to destroy about this, it's almost too late. Like, there are so many people who have submitted their DNA to different places that even if you haven't, someone can figure out uh, who you are. You see what I mean? You know, they, they find, I don't even think it was the Golden State Killer's DNA they found. They right, found, no, like, it was a family a member relative. of his, right. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. that, that's the way I feel. Exactly. I feel, you know, why, if yeah. my, um, if my uh, great nephew goes down a wayward path one day, uh, why should I submit the DNA and help him get uh, arrested? But that's a, a subject for another day. Um, one of the things that, <laughs> one of the things that we found, and we're talking with Michelle Caruso Cabrera, uh, CNBC contributor and the former chief international correspondent. Um, one of the things that we found in my wife's case is that the reason that um, that her father had a sibling that he was never aware of was because her grandfather had had an adulterous affair and, you know, and impregnated his mistress, basically, and then she was put up for adoption. I'm curious, as more and more people go down this rabbit hole of researching their ancestry, their family history, these uh, their genealogical profile, how common is it to discover family secrets like the one that I just described with my wife? I think it's exceptionally common. Um, I found two in my family. 
um, where, uh, you know, I asked my mother about something and she clearly knew about this, but didn't want to tell me, um, the closer it is, uh, in time, the, the more embarrassed people are and the less likely they are to talk about it. And then the farther away you get distance wise, it's easier to talk about it. Um, but it's extremely common, extremely common. My, um, my colleague, I see Bill Griffith wrote an entire book about discovering that his father wasn't his father. Wow. Uh, it's yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. No, no, that that's wild. Um, it, this and, is, and by the way, even if you don't submit it, there's so many people around you who submit that it, it gets discovered. Even if you thought you had a secret. Wow. Uh, by the way, if you want to give, get a look at um, some of the really interesting historical uh, documents that um, Michelle has been looking at for her family, um, Michelle's just tweeted that. You can find her on Twitter at uh, mcaruso underscore Cabrera, and I'm going to retweet it as well. So you can find me at uh, Frank Morano, and I'll, I'll retweet it, and you can see it on there. It's really, really fascinating. Um, tell me about your trip to Cuba when you were when you were researching uh, this kind of thing there. Who did you meet familiarly in Cuba? Uh, so second cousins uh, and third cousins. Um, we um, I had a family member. Uh, so two of my family members from Cuba that I researched. You know, they came to New York City in the twenties, not in the sixties like many exiles did. I was trying to figure out why did they come in the 20s? Well, because one had a child out of wedlock uh, and just wanted to leave town. And another one was um, a gay, I would call him a gay great uncle. Uh, That's why they left Cuba in the 20s. And so I found, um, and great uncle is not quite right. You know, I'd have to look at the tree and sit down with you. But, um, you know, I went and found his grand nieces. Uh, and there was, you know, not a lot has changed in Cuba. And so all the photos were still on the wall uh, and I could see them. Uh, and, you know, they explained to me all these different relatives. And, and you know, that's part of an example of finding people who are, um, you know, far away from you because they can show you a photo of your great, great grandfather that you wouldn't have had otherwise because they, you all sh- share that same person. Uh, this is Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, what uh, what you are, of course, Hispanic. What should uh, people keep in mind for Hispanic Heritage Month beyond that uh, maybe it's a fun month to have a parade and to say that it's Hispanic Heritage Month? What should people be keeping in mind and be mindful of for Hispanic Heritage Month? Well, yeah, I love Hispanic Heritage Month. I'm the president of the board of the Hispanico. And we are going to name uh, West 89th Street uh, coming up later on during Hispanic Heritage Month, Ballet Hispanic Away, uh, which I'm really excited about. I think people should know that um, we are a culture that very much loves America, but also loves salsa. And I mean the dance, not just the food. (laughs) (laughs) And we love, um, you know, we love being from somewhere, but we love being here, too. Uh, It's just. It's um, I don't know. I uh, being Latina is 
is super fun. I, I don't know how to describe hey, it. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's certainly most of the uh, Latina women that I've met over the years have been incredibly spirited and taken a great deal of pride in their culture. Hey, um, so you stepped away from CNBC for a couple of years to take a stab at uh, at running for office. How are you finding the return to journalism? I know uh, some people that have uh, stepped away from journalism to try their hand at politics. Sometimes they have a difficult time making the transition back because they've been so um, used to being a newsmaker for a couple of years. How are you finding that uh, the transition back to the world of journalism? Uh, well, it just started last week, so it's pretty new. Um, but so far, so good. Um, it's like riding a bike in terms of gathering information, making sure you explain it clearly. You know, I'm working with colleagues that I worked with for 20 years, so there's a rhythm there. Um, you know, I was on the morning show Squawk Box last week, and it's the same anchors and the same format. So, you know, sit down and um, a little nervous at first because it's been a little more than two years. But, uh, you know, I, th- I had a great time. I hope they did, too. Um, I'll let you go. It sounds like there are some folks tugging at your heels, but I do have to ask you, since you're in Italy following the Italian election, I follow Italian politics pretty closely. The the uh, prediction, the smart money has a uh, right wing prime minister coming in after Sunday's elections by a, a woman by the name of Maloney. They said she's likely to secure enough support to uh, have a, a right wing, a bunch of the right wing parties. And they're actually comparing her to Mussolini. They're saying this is the first hard right leader of Italy, uh, if she's elected, since Mussolini. One, do you you go with the conventional wisdom that she's likely to be the next prime minister? And two, is that Mussolini comparison a fair one? She is likely to be the next prime minister, yes. Um, Mussolini, um, I I don't know enough about Mussolini. I will say this, that... She is certainly, people tell me that Berlusconi looks centrist compared to her. Um, So, yes, she's definitely of the three right-wing parties. She's the furthest right. She's also much more socially right than those other parties. The two other parties are much more, let's lower taxes, let's make it easier for business. But she's got a strong um, concern about immigrants here and a real focus on work, whereas Berlusconi was about globalization, you know. Italy's great. The world is great. Let's go get it uh, kind of thing. It's a totally different tonality. Uh, With that in mind, how do you think American markets are likely to react to a new right-wing government in Italy? I I don't think they're going to react much. I think what you need to remember is that the prime minister of Italy is kind of like the governor of California. It's not like the president of the United States. Remember, when you're a member of the European Union, you're not in charge of your currency. Mm. What, what you can do with your borrowing is very, very constrained. A lot of your laws aren't even written in your home country anymore. They're written in Brussels, right, which is what, part of the reason why Brexit happened, because people didn't like that. Um, and, and they controlled their own currency in the U.K., and they didn't you know, like being part of the EU. So, um, you know, it's, I don't think it's going to affect it much as long as she doesn't go on a real, uh, you know, deficit splurge, which – a lot of the countries in Europe are thinking about doing because they're going to subsidize energy because energy costs are so Hmm. high uh, and they're worried about it going into the winter. Wow. All right, Uh, Michelle, it is always a treat to talk with you. Hopefully I'll see you uh, when you return to the United States. Enjoy the rest of your trip. Good luck. 
Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Pleasure to be on. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you. That's uh, Michelle Caruso Cabrera. Hey, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222, either the Italian election aspect of it, the ancestry aspect of it, or, um, you know, that revolving door. No, I don't want to say it's a revolving door because that makes it sound like it's more common than that is. But the, the transition from the world of journalism to the world of politics to, and the world of politics to the world of journalism. Some people make that transition very easily. Uh, George Stephanopoulos, for instance. You watch him now, a lot of people don't remember that he really made his bones as a political operative. Um, other people struggle with that. You know, Susan Molinari, she was a rising star in Congress and then left to pursue the world of journalism, and she she had a very tough time. Other people are able to go back and forth. Curtis Lewa, for instance, a successful radio talk show host for 30 years, runs for mayor, comes back, doesn't miss a beat. Pat Buchanan, same thing. Politics, journalism, journalism, politics, he's able to do it. Other people have a tougher time. 800-848-9222. When we return, I will tell you the exciting true story of what's happening at Alfredo's Pizza Cafe and the mystery of the $3,000 tip. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. before Alfredo's Pizza Cafe in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Waitress by the name of Mariana Lambert gets a $3,000 tip. This is the pizzeria from The Office, the TV show The Office. And they, at least they were mentioned in it. <clears throat> and now you're not going to believe this. But what this waitress thought was the tip of the li- of a lifetime is nothing but a headache now because the customer left $3000 voluntarily in a tip and now that customer is asking for that money back can you believe that so this Crypto bro that left this $3,000 tip. We don't exactly know who it is, but the generous customer wrote tips for Jesus on his receipt. 
in an apparent reference to the anonymous Instagram account Tips for Jesus, which showcases unusually large gratuities left for servers. Um, and now he wants the money back. So what would you do if you're the restaurant and if you're the waitress here? I'll tell you what they are doing. Would you just give it back? Would you say no? Tough. Well, not only is the restaurant saying you can't have it back, they're saying no tough, but um, <laughs> now there's actually a lawsuit involved. The restaurant is now suing the customer and noted um, the manager of the restaurant, Zachary Jacobson, said, quote, it's just a little aggravating right now. It's been causing a lot of nonsense and drama. They noted that they all thought somebody was actually trying to do a good thing. The gratuity fiasco ba- began back in June after one of the, the pie purveyor's patrons. Actually, uh, we do have his name. It's Eric Smith. We did not have it at the time. Eric Smith left waitress Mariana Lambert an eye-popping $3,000 on a $13 tip, on a $13 bill. A customer who had ordered only a plate of stromboli had uh, reportedly left the life-changing gratuity as part of a social media trend called Tips for Jesus. The story went viral with countless people on social media commenting on the act of kindness. While initially skeptical, Given the generous sum of money, staffers were ecstatic after the credit card payment went through in their machine. Needless to say, the waitress, Ms. Lambert, was floored by this, especially given how restaurants were still reeling from COVID closures. Um, she said, it really meant a lot to me because everyone's going through stuff. It really touched my heart. I still can't believe it. I'm still in shock. However... The staffer's gratitude quickly soured because the restaurant received something in the mail that Eric was disputing the charge for the tip that he left. This was despite the fact the restaurant had already paid the waitress the gratuity, leaving them approximately $3,000 out of pocket. Now, alarmed, the restaurant, Alfredo's, reached out to Eric Smith on Facebook in the hopes that the whole thing was just some sort of a misunderstanding. But what the man that they're referring to as the restaurant reneger has stopped replying to their messages. Left with no other recourse, Alfredo's decided to take Smith to court with the goal of recuperating the $3,000. Quote, Unfortunately, we had to file charges through the magistrate's office because now we're just out of this money at this point. And he told us to sue him, so that's what we're going to do, I guess. He added, I hope that he owns up to his actions and comes forth and does pay this because you shouldn't have done this if this was the end result. Now, first of all, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. 800-848-9222. Whenever a restaurant bill, whenever a order of Stromboli ends up in court, that's never good, right? It should have never have gotten to this point. The bottom line is this. You should absolutely never tip what you can't afford to part with. 
I know it's easy with a credit card uh, to uh, to tip, 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 tip. Uh, it feels like it's not real money. It goes to our conversation with Ralph Nader yesterday. You can't do that. If you're going to give a $100 tip, a $200 tip, a $3,000 tip, you have to be expect. You're expect. You're, you're done. It's over. It's over. Now, if you have tippers' remorse, then I think the adult thing to do, the responsible thing to do, is to contact the restaurant the next day and say, "Look, I'm sorry. I know this got a lot of attention. I'm just not in a position to part with the three thousand dollars right now. How about you refund me, and I'll, I'll happily give the waitress a hundred dollar tip." Right. Um, I'll tell you. But once you give that tip, you got to give it to just go this route of disputing the charges. It's really low rent as far as I'm concerned. The guy sounds like a total jerk that he would do this. Do this grandiose gesture. Get the attention and then try to take it back like this. No. Once I tip something for somebody, it's over. Uh, I remember one time there was a bar that I used to hang out at this many years ago, and I would go there during the day and get plastered. And I remember walking out, and I was getting my my uh, bag from the coat check girl, and the colleague of the coat check girl who I knew said, "Oh yeah, you got to give her a tip." And I said to her, "Well, and you know, this is after five or six martinis." I said, "Oh, what should I give her?" This is years ago. And she says, give her $100. So I, I happen to have a $100 bill on me, took it out, gave it to her. Now, I would soberly never tip anyone $100. I mean, I mean unless you had a, you know, $500 restaurant bill or something. But I would not tip a coat check girl $100. But that's what I did. I tipped her. So that's it. It's over. Uh, you part with that money, it's done. And they all said, they were all shocked at the time. They said, no, 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 here, no, no, we were just joking. Just take take the money back. I said, nope, 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 that's it. Here, take the $100. That being said, if something seems too good to be true, usually it is, right? So I have to think, if you're the restaurant and the waitress, that $3,000, just because you know how people are, that $3,000 maybe should have stayed in a lockbox of some sort, not be spent, and wait and see what happens. Now, the credit card went through, but it still just seems too good to be true. And I think maybe you wait. I remember I was hanging out at a bar, this is many years ago, and the bartender was, I think, the boyfriend of my friend that I was with, and uh, so I'm hanging out with my friend uh, Sarah, and she was uh, dating or flirting with the bartender. I don't remember the situation, but the bartender had a vested interest in giving us, you know, free drinks because you know he was dating my friend. And so he gave us maybe he gave me, I'd say, a um, hundred dollars worth of drinks, and then only charged fifteen dollars on the credit card bill that I gave. I mean. So I wanted to do the right thing and show my appreciation. So I gave him a $30 tip on that $50, $15 bill. And I remember this guy. His name was Shane. I don't remember what bar it was. But he crossed it off. He crossed it off. I said, what are you doing? I want you to have that $30. He said, no, it just doesn't look good. It doesn't look good, especially if I'm giving you guys complimentary drinks. I can't do that. Because, you know, sometimes 
it's just not the right thing to do. Now, that's obviously a different situation than this Tips for Jesus movement. But um, my view is this shouldn't go to court. Somebody should be an adult here. Now, it would be nice if Eric Smith just owned up to the money that he wanted to give and just gave it. That being said, I kind of feel like the restaurant and the waitress should have waited and not spent that $3,000 and not gone and done their thing before, you know, they should have waited. That would have been the practical thing. But that tips for Jesus is what made them say, hey, this is real. Right. No, I would have thought it was real. Because the guy wrote it on a receipt. Well, he and, can't even go back and say, you know what, I made a mistake. And as I said. Nothing, there's nothing you could do. No, as I said, they um, they waited. They were skeptical. And then they waited until the charge went through on the credit card before giving the waitress the money. So, um, I don't know. Uh, now, you remember from the office, uh, they um, they were having a pizza party, and Michael announced that he got pizza from Alfredo's for all the employees, and then the employees were all disappointed after it's revealed that they ordered, they didn't order from Alfredo's Pizza Cafe, which is the place they like. Instead, they ordered from the inferior pizza by Alfredo, and as a pizza connoisseur myself, I appreciated the in-depth pizza discussion on that front. Alex Barnard. I think the fact that he even wrote tips for Jesus on the receipt is such a jerk move. I mean, I don't. first of all, I don't yeah, know if this is like a right. subreddit or something right. like that. But, I mean, to do that, to to do anything as a gesture to, to someone else just for attention. That's exactly right. You're already sh- proves that you're a total jerk. Yes. You know? uh, no, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, if you want to do the right thing by somebody, they say the best charity is anonymous. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, and people that I know that are very charitable, they don't go around bragging about uh, the kind of charity they're doing for people. They do it quietly. And, um, you know, I, I've heard from some of the people that were on The Sopranos that James Gandolfini, he would read the paper and then somebody would, uh, you know, have a, suffer a tragedy or something. They'd, they'd lose their house or something or they'd get robbed. James Gandolfini would just send them anonymously. He would get their address and send them anonymously money in the mail, not tell them it was from him or anything. That's real charity. Um, Asking to be shouted out on social media, to your point, it's attention-seeking. It's uh, self-aggrandizing. It's it's annoying. And it's further to the point, it almost makes that kind of a guarantee that he was going to do something like this, like take it back. So do you think the restaurant maybe should have expected, all right, we kind of see the kind of guy this guy is. Well, let's let's not spend this money too quickly. Well, no, honestly, I no. think they should have, despite his uh, wanting to seek fame for doing a good deed. Um, they should have still felt that it was, you know, rightfully theirs. So, do you think they're doing the right thing going to court? Now? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Once Matt you Blaise, give it, you, you agree? Yeah, because they're out the money. Yeah, I I, I agree too. Well, and, I, that, and once you give the money, hey. It's theirs, frankly. If it's you, true. You know, it's true. Well, but for that's where credit cards are tricky. If they, if you, if you're disputing charges on credit cards, I don't know what credit card to use. But American Express is very good 
with disputes. They almost always side with the customer and will refund the money. And then the restaurant or any vendor, they don't like to go against the credit card company because if they have a dispute with the credit card company, the credit mm-hmm. card company says, all right, you're no longer taking uh, American Express anymore. And then they're out a lot of business that way. Oh. So, um, mm-hmm. But you, I hear what you're saying. 800-848-9222. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Carol is in Manhattan. Hello, Carol. Hi. I was thinking about the waitress. She has to pay taxes on that money. Well, that's right. I mean, obviously, uh, she has to pay a tax on her net profit, uh, you know, in terms of tips. If she were to give the money back, she doesn't have to pay taxes on it. But but as of now, since she kept the money, she certainly has to pay taxes on it. So if she pays taxes on it, she should have to pay him back. Well, again, but if she if she paid him back, she wouldn't pay taxes on it. But if she filed already? Right. Well, but this w- this just happened in June. So she wouldn't have filed her, her taxes yet for, you know, for this year because the year's not over. Oh, oh okay. I thought you could just walk in and just pay. Yeah. Oh. But it's a good point, right, though, Carol. You. Certainly something to keep in mind. Carol, thanks for calling. Thoughts on this? Questions, comments? 800-848-9222. So I guess we're all in agreement that I, I think it's a shame. But I, I think we're all in agreement that um, I guess the restaurant had no choice but to go this route. And I think we're all in super agreement that this guy is a real jerk for trying to j- take this back. That being said, I think the restaurant should have exercised a little bit more caution here. But um, you know who the best tippers are, by the way? And I have a long history of befriending waiters and bartenders and waitresses. And to a person, they have all told me, that the best tippers, doesn't matter where in the country, Baltimore, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, gamblers. Gamblers are always the best tippers, which does not surprise me in the least. Um, you know what probably happened with this guy is he probably did intend to give the $3,000 tip. And then they call him a crypto bro. He probably, between June and now, lost a ton of money in Bitcoin and Ethereum and other crypto investments. And said, oh, man, now I'm having a tough time making ends meet. I'm not really in a position to give a $3,000 tip and wanted, disputed the charges, wanted that money back. That's probably what happened here. 800-848-9222, Eight open lines. They're all yours. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. David Guetta and Bebe Rexa. 
And uh, th- that this is sort of a remix of that original song, uh, Blue. You can tell they have the same kind of beat. This is very popular. It's a newer song, but uh, very big, both here and in Europe, actually. 800-848-9222. Hey, by the way, follow up on a story very quickly we were doing in our first hour. The uh, New York Post reporting that uh, the story that just came out about an hour ago. Eric Adame, the disgraced New York One weatherman, has already received at least one job offer. So New York One may not want him, but uh, he told Deadline News that somebody does. So I don't know what outlet that will be, but uh, we'll see. I think uh, New York One will live to regret this mistake. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frankie. Uh, the lady that said uh, you got to give the tip back, uh, you got to pay taxes on it. Uh, if, he, if he gets a tip back, uh, could he take the cash for the loss? Can he what? The cash for the loss. Um, if he give the tip back. Well, can who take the casualty loss? The waitress. No, I don't think I, – I, you know, again, I'm not a, a CPA, uh, so I guess it would depend. I, I think you, the way it works, though, is you just pay on your net tip earnings. So I don't I, – yeah, th- that's what I think you do. But you have to give it back, then uh, you're actually taking a loss, aren't you? I, I don't know. I, no, I, I think you just pay on your year-end net, net earnings in terms of tips. So – Let's say she. Let's say that was, was the only tip that she got. She would have a three thousand dollar net profit. But if she gave it back before the end of the of the year, then her net tip earnings would be zero. You have nothing. All right. But you know what happened to me when I drove a limo. Uh, a guy gave me a hundred dollar tip, and I said, "Oh, thank you very much." I didn't say thank you for a hundred. I said, "Thank you very much." The next day, he called up and told them. He says, "Look, I meant to give him ten dollars." Oh no, that's the well. So what happened? What did you back. do? I gave him the money back. You did, and did so you kept ten. You gave him ninety. Yes, I gave. I gave some ninety back to the company, and they gave it back to the. So guy. You, see, you've been now. Why didn't you um, make a fuss um, about it? Why didn't you say, "Look, he gave me this, and uh, I'm keeping the hundred. You said he made a mistake. Right. Okay. Well, that's fair. Now, this guy did not make a mistake because he wrote on the receipt. He added the $3,000 to his $13 Stromboli, and then he wrote on the receipt, tips for Jesus. So this clearly was not a mistake. But uh, you're, you're a good man, Neil. I'm sorry. I'm glad you got that $10 at least. I would I would tip you even more. <laughs> Thank you, Frank. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you, Neil. 800-848-9222. If that happened to you, Frank, if you gave uh, a tip like that by accident, would you call up and go, I only meant to give him ten bucks, but I gave him a hundred. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? the The way uh, I spend money so frivolously on everything that the tipping is not where I'm going to be chintzing out. Okay, if if there's anything that I'm going to, I, I'm certainly not going to on money that I've already given. Ask for the money back? Absolutely not. No, Absolutely, I, I, not. I wouldn't either. What's What's the biggest percentage of tip that you've ever given? I don't know. You know what it is on big bills, even though it's a standard percentage, when you if you have a five hundred dollar restaurant bill or something or a six hundred dollar restaurant bill, that you know, the raw number, even though it's still in the only the twenty percent range, that gets to be pretty pretty high. What is the biggest tip I've ever got? I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it's probably when I've been ahead at the casino 
and I'll tip the dealer big. Um, you know, but I don't know. I'd, I'd have to give that some thought. I don't know what the biggest percent. What about you? I, I remember once with a friend, we were at a restaurant and the bill was between the two of us. It was like seventy dollars, and we gave we sat at a bar and we gave the bartender a hundred dollars, and he gave us back the money. We said we said keep it, and he looked at us like really wow, and we were like yeah, just keep it. And he was a young guy too, and that's why we you know, he was good. We liked him. We thought he was pleasant. We said just give it to him. We'll make his day. And he was like, oh my god, thank you guys so much. And I don't know if that was the, that's probably one of the bigger bigger ones. Yeah, no, well that's nice. Uh, uh, that's nice. What about you, Kenneth? Where are you on uh, tipping? I usually give around like twenty percent. Yeah, that's that's the, the that's norm. the standard. Yeah, uh, during COVID, when everybody was making a big thing about how restaurant workers were struggling, and they were, and they were, it was a legitimate thing. They, um, you know, that was that was a time where maybe I would give thirty five percent, maybe a little bit more. And again, it depends on the on the service and things like that. All right, hey. Uh, I really want to encourage you to not only subscribe to the podcast of this program, but, and just search The Other Side of Midnight on any podcast app, but I want to encourage you to subscribe to the Racket Report podcast. In the latest edition of the Racket Report, my guest was Michael Franzese, former Colombo crime family captain. And the son of former Colombo crime family underboss, and really boss, because um, for most of the time that we're talking about, the actual boss of the Colombo family was in prison. So the underboss, John Sonny Franzese, was actually really kind of the acting boss. But Michael Franzese was a captain. He was the son of John Sonny Franzese. He did something really brave, and he left the mob. While his father was still the underboss, in fact, as you'll hear in the podcast, his father actually consented to put a hit out on his own son. Can you imagine that? The guy goes to prison and says, all right, comes out of prison. I'm done with this. I want nothing to do with this. And Carmine Persico decides he wants to kill him. His father, the underboss, says, okay. Can you imagine those are the kind of stories you're going to hear in the podcast. Now, speaking of money, I asked Michael how much money he was making at the height of his criminality in the late 80s. Now, it was reported that you might have earned, when you were at the height of your earning power on the street, you were earning up to $8 million per week. Now, this is in the 1980s when $8 million was $8 million. Is that number pretty close to accurate? Were you, could you really have been earning $8 million a week in criminal proceeds? Yeah, let, let me clarify that. You know, I was in the uh, I was in a business. It was a, it was a scam. We were, we were defrauding the government at, at a tax on every gallon of gasoline. We were selling at the height of my operation. We ran it for almost eight years. I had the Russian mob guys out of uh, Brighton Beach were my partners. And uh, we were selling a half a billion gallons of gas a month. And we were taking down 20, 30, 40 cents a gallon, depending upon what kind of deal we made with who. So we were bringing in, the operation was bringing in eight to $10 million a week and average. You know, there's weeks when we brought in six million, there's weeks we brought in 12, 13, 14 million. It all depended. So, yeah, those numbers are accurate. Now, again, it didn't all go in my pocket. You know, we had a big operation. Obviously, I was paying up to my boss, to the family at that time. And, you know, I had 300 people around me. 
I mean, I was making a lot of money, uh, Frank, don't get me wrong, but that's what the operation was grossing on a weekly basis. Now, that's pretty big. So if you want to hear our whole discussion, including how Michael got out of that life, what his relationship was like with his father, his relationship was like with his brother. His brother testified against his father when his father was on trial at 93 years old, and his brother testified against him. So we get into some really personal stuff, and it's uh, really interesting from both a, not, I don't even want to say a mafia perspective, but from a criminality, from a, from a, a psychological perspective. Why people do this. So if you want to hear that, you can uh, just search The Racket Report on iTunes or on any podcast app, Spotify or absolutely uh, absolutely anything else. By the way, um, also speaking of money, I want to thank Dan McMillan, who was here a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about his proposal for democracy dollars. You remember that? Great interview. And he said after the interview, he came in studio, which is how I prefer everybody to be. But um, he came in studio and he said, you know, I could tell that he was surprised at how attuned I was to the intricacies of campaign finance. And he said to me, hey, you know, I'd love to take you to dinner sometime and pick your brain more about this and we could talk about it further. So we had dinner last night um, right, right near the radio station, which is very convenient for me but at a, a very expensive restaurant, and he insisted on on paying the check, which was my kind of dinner. So uh, believe me, that was uh, very, very nice. 800-848-9222. Now, that interaction, it is a much better interaction than the one that I had last week with my friend Barry. So the whole world, I think, knows that if you want to reach me by phone, the best times to do it are when I'm driving home between 5 and 6 a.m. or when I'm driving to work between 10 and 11 p.m., right? I mean, varying. It varies. But, you know, th- this week is all a mess because of the U.N. General Assembly being in town. But so I always tell people to call me 1015, 1030 or so. So my friend Barry, nice guy. We go back many years. He wanted to talk to me about some stuff. Fine. I'll, t- I'll talk to anybody, um, as evidenced by the fact that my phone doesn't stop ringing. So I said, all right, okay, let's talk around 1030. He says, can we do a Zoom? I said, no, no, no let's do a phone 1030. So for whatever reason, he was emailing me on multiple different email addresses that I have, my work email and my, pre- my personal email. And it takes me a while to get caught up in my email. I do get caught up, but it takes me a while. So for whatever reason, we get our signals crossed. And I think we're going to have a phone conversation at 1030. He shows up at the radio station at 1030 to meet with me. I said, Barry, I'm I'm not there. I'm not going to be there for another 20 minutes or so. So he's there. And now once I get here, I have to kind of work on the show. So I I felt bad that I kind of rushed him through the meeting that he wanted to have and that I made him wait a half hour. But all the more reason that if you're going to meet somebody in person, you always double check. You always reconfirm. Um, so that was quite unpleasant. Luckily, our program director was here, and I acted like I needed to meet with him right away. But keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. It's hump day. The weekend is in sight. Hopefully you have a nice Wednesday planned. Uh, We have to go to a wedding tonight in uh, Tom's River, New Jersey, where my sister-in-law is getting married. But um, I will be here tomorrow, and we'll have uh, an action-packed show. We're still already working on things for tomorrow. Got things moving, moving, got things in the pipeline, as it were. All right, let me ask you this. Young people love blank while older people dislike blank. How would you complete that sentence? Matt, any guesses? Young people love blank. Well, there's no wrong answer here. I mean, I'm going to give you what I want to talk about, but I'm just curious what what first thing that comes to your mouth. Young people love blank while older people dislike blank. Loud music. To which? Oh, oh, it's not the same thing necessarily, but I guess that works, right? <laughs> yeah. um, Kenneth, you want to play? What, what a young, you're a young person. What do young people like? I'd say technology. Okay. Well, you're actually not wrong. Uh, you're actually not wrong. All right. Two very interesting stories that I want to bring to your attention and ask you why. This is the case. The, the, the older one is easier to understand, but let me, uh, uh, you could offer your two cents as you see fit. Do you know what young people like? And the younger they are, the more they love it. Um, Gen X likes it. Millennials really like it. But Gen Z can't get enough of it. What do you think I'm talking about? I'm going to blow your mind. If you're Gen X or Baby Boomer or older than Baby Boomer, I'm going to blow your mind right now. This blew my mind. Do you know what young people love? Subtitles. Subtitles. Subtitles and closed captioning. Now, audio transcription tools have been with us for a while, and traditionally they've served two purposes. Subtitles help viewers understand audio that's spoken in a foreign language or in a language by somebody like uh, Ralph in New Jersey. Closed captioning helps people with hearing loss understand what's being said on the screen. So um, recently, usage of both tools has skyrocketed among younger demographics and often not for either of the reasons that I just mentioned, according to the Wall Street Journal. The rise of captions, like many things, can be traced back to Netflix and TikTok. Netflix has tried to make its captions more entertaining in recent years, leading to a one, actually 200% jump in the number of viewing uh, of viewers using them in the last five years. TikTok creators have embraced captions as a medium for creativity and a way to increase the accessibility of their videos. This has helped make captions the default setting for many young users who claim there's another big perk of using this technology, watching videos in public without ticking people off. This is so interesting to me because sometimes, you know, I share uh, a workspace with Dominic Carter and I'll be working before the show and I'll have to, you know, I'll be editing some audio or watching a video about something that I'm going to be talking about. And I'm always leery about playing it because I don't want to disturb him as he's preparing for work. But 
the young people, God bless them, have figured out the solution. Closed captioning. So I think this is so interesting. I never would have predicted this. But sure enough, the youngsters love subtitles and closed captioning. Any thoughts uh, other than the one, the obvious one that I just mentioned, or the obvious two that I just mentioned, as to why? Curious if you've observed that, or if you're a young person yourself, w- what you think that's about. 800-848-9222. Frank, I absolutely despise closed captioning. So I don't... Can't stand it. You know, you know why I don't like it? Now, I do like foreign films, so I love a good foreign film with subtitles, you know, Korean film like uh, Parasite, or a good Italian film like uh, any of the Roberto Benigni films like Johnny Stacchini or Life is Beautiful. But if a film is in English, I find it so distracting to have that closed captioning, because I end up just focusing on the words exactly instead of watching the action. Um, so you may have to hand in your Generation Z card, Kenneth. Because Gladly. <laughs> 70, 70, you are Gen Z, right? You're Gen Z? Yeah. 70% of your compatriots, 70% of your peers, they're all in on this. Like right now, though, um, we have four screens in the newsroom here. And one, two, three of them have um, closed captioning on them because there's no sound. Now, I don't mind that because I'm not hearing it. Yeah, I'm the same way. That I don't mind. But regular closed caption, I can't stand. I will well, not watch foreign well, What do you mean regular films. closed caption? Meaning on a foreign film, if it's captioned in well, English. Well, that's subtitles. You seriously subtitles. won't subtitles. watch one? Yeah. I won't even watch a movie. And I won't watch it <laughs> if, it's, if it's subtitled, because, if it's overdubbed. I won't even watch overdubs. Why you won't even watch a foreign no. film just because of the subtitles? It's so annoying. Do you to realize me. how limiting that is in terms of what you're missing out on? Oh, you, so you I never know. saw Parasite? No, uh, you missed out. Kind of I have seen Life Is Beautiful because when the movie came out, I did a lot of work for the commercials for that movie, so I did see it. But other than that, I, as soon as I see anything with a subtitle caption, I'm done. <laughs> Forget it. All right. Um, don't, don't you think that's a little xenophobic, Matt? <laughs> I, I don't want to see. I want to read. I want to enjoy what I'm want, watching. I don't want but to read. A good, honestly, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. But a good foreign picture, if it's um, if it's really engaging, you don't. Within a few minutes, you don't even notice the subtitles. It's like they're not even there. It's like you're not even there. All right, we have another certified young person. You are a Generation Zer as well, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, and Kenny's uh, only a month older than I am. Is that true? Yeah. Well, I feel like Alex has a lot more maturity than Kenneth. Do you feel that way? I got to agree with you. Yeah, okay. Thanks, um, Frank. Yeah, well, no, it's not an insult. You're very, you're very, you're eternally youthful. You're like Peter Pan running around announcing your birthday and your haircut which your modeling agency made you get. I mean, you know, Alex Barnard, we have to you know, we have to interrogate him to find out why he's walking around in a wheelchair um or wheeling around in a wheelchair. Um Go ahead. What are your thoughts on this? I actually uh, – I was never really a subtitles person up until recently, actually, because mm. my girlfriend Callie is, uh, uses them a lot uh, for stuff that she watches. Why does she use them? I – honestly, I can't figure it out. I think um, it's because sometimes if there's something that we miss or if we're watching something and it's somewhat late at night, we might want to keep it down because she – for example, if we're at – her apartment, she has two other roommates, and so she may not want to make a lot of noise when uh, when it's either late at night or 
I mean, one of them sleeps until like four in the afternoon, which I don't understand why. But well, that's um, immaterial. You know, yeah. to this discussion. But well, if we're watching something and it's before four in the afternoon, oh, I yeah, see. Yeah, oh, yeah. okay. I we don't want to okay. wake her Got up. It. Got it. Oh, yeah, that's very thoughtful. But she prefers the subtitles or the closed captioning, even when it's something in English. Yeah. Okay. It, and well, and uh, in addition to that, when I was watching a show like Letterkenny, which is a Canadian show, for example, even though that's in English, um, they the accents at first are a little hard to get used to. So I would watch it with subtitles before I could sort of understand what they were saying without it. You know, it's funny. I've done that with some British films and that with a heavy British accent or even I think I might have done that with the Kenneth Branagh film Belfast uh, th- this year or last year, whenever that came out. Because of the heavy Irish brogue in it, it was helpful to have that closed caption. Or or at least there were moments when I would go back and um, rewatch a scene with the closed captioning because I wasn't making out what they were saying. So I, I get Fair. that. Random aside, have you ever seen uh, In the Loop or The Thick of It? British comedies you might enjoy. Um, I don't think I have, no. Oh, you? I think you would like that. Really? Very right, funny. Put, it's about British politics. They're, yeah. they're motion pictures or they're In the Loop is a, is a movie adaptation of uh, The Thick of It, which, speaking of James Gandolfini, has, it in it, it has him in it. But uh, the main character is played by uh, Peter Capaldi. Uh, okay. Who was doc- the doctor on Doctor Who up All right. until recently? I will, uh, I will, I will put that on my list. And uh, you derailed us a little bit in terms of uh, of topic. Hey, you that- said British comedy. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Um, now, you you are going to comment on the closed captioning eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. You know what older people aren't crazy about, aside from closed captioning, smartphones. Smartphones. Now I realize. This might strike some people as strange, especially if you're listening to us right now on the smartphone app of your favorite radio station. But smartphones, very interesting piece in Axios yesterday. Smartphones have moved from being a luxury or a convenience to really being a necessity or a lifeline. Yet people over the age of 50 are both less likely to own the devices and more likely to feel excluded by them. This is my Aunt Camille. My Aunt Camille still uses a uh, a flip phone. She doesn't have a smartphone. More than ever, though, and this is a potential problem for a lot of people and a lot of businesses, because more than ever, and in some ways this is the, the credit card versus cash conversation that we had with Ralph Nader yesterday, more than ever, services and businesses from banks to doctor's offices, restaurants, sporting events, airlines, they expect users to have access to smartphones. But many older folks still lack digital skills, and products don't always take their needs into account, which is a big problem. A December 2021 survey conducted by the AARP found that three in four people over the age of 50 say they rely on technology to stay connected. But 42% of them say that technology is not designed for all ages. That's a big number. And according to Michael Phillips of the AARP, that's a big problem. So many new features introduced in Apple and Google products, such as iOS's crash detection and Android's live translate, they aim to save lives or actively improve real in real-time in-person interactions. But older users 
are still showing some hesitancy to jump on the smartphone bandwagon. Pew Research Center study earlier this year found that, ready for this? 96% of U.S. adults age 18 to 29 own a smartphone, compared with 61% of those 65 and older. Advocates worry uh, particularly that these older non-users might miss out on ways that health apps paired with phones could improve their lives. This fellow from AARP said, if people don't trust the technology, they're not going to use the technology, even if it will help them live a little bit healthier life. A University of Michigan survey from February found that 28% of adults age 50 to 80 said they use at least one mobile health app, while 56% said they've never used one. The survey found that older adults who reported excellent, very good, or good health were more likely to use health apps compared with those in fair or poor health. Isn't that interesting? Listen to that. Older adults who said they're in excellent or very good health or just good health are more likely to be using health apps on their smartphone compared with those in fair or poor health. Now, you might also draw the conclusion, I mean, you know, correlation is not causation, right? You might also draw the conclusion, well, maybe the reason that they have a uh, handy-dandy smartphone is because they have a little more money. And maybe that also means they're paying for better medical care. You could also draw the conclusion, the the theory could be that, um, well, if uh, they're, they're adaptable enough and technologically aware enough to be using smartphones, chances are they live a pretty active lifestyle, at least mentally. That might be a factor as to why they're in good health. But crafting devices and operating systems that are easier for more people to use has become a focus for the tech industry. And there's been some progress. So along with Uh, The standard visual and audio accessibility customizations like text message size or SMS text message size, Zoom and audio assists, phone makers have further extended phone's capability with additional speech interfaces and add-on devices. Apple's new iOS 16 has also added accessibility options for older users with features like door detection and full circle, right, ready? Live captions. So um, we'll see where it goes. Deborah Berlin, who's the executive director of the project to get older adults online, told Axios that tech issues exist in smartphones for older individuals, but the benefits are still a huge plus. So a new feature is only useful to older users if they know it exists and can find it easily. So we'll see. Um, For older users to fully embrace the smartphone, they'll have to get more comfortable with the technology and confident that they can find uses for it that will improve their lives. I'd love to know your advice on how to do that. If you're an older person, what would you say to Apple or Google or one of these big tech companies? Finish this sentence. I don't use a smartphone, but I would if blank. 800-848-9222. Or if you're an older person that does use a smartphone, um, what would you say about why your peers should use them? 
800-848-9222. How'd you like getting called xenophobic by uh, Alex Barnard? Because no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> British comedies. I mean, that's lost me right there. There's some good British comedies. Monty yeah, Python, yeah, yeah, you gonna, were never into it? I was going to say Monty. I was never really into it. But I did watch Benny Hill when he was on TV. Yeah, well, fair enough. 800-848-9222. But I can tell you why they don't want to use, use smartphones. They yeah. don't want to be tracked. You that's, think that's it? That's what they think. Well, yeah. that's smart, actually. They don't want to be tracked. I mean, you could get... Don't they have um, burner phones that have all the things that a smartphone can do? True, but they can't get in. They're not even getting to a regular smartphone. You think they're going to get a burner phone? Like, they don't even know what that means. Yeah. They probably think it means, you know, that's what drug dealers use. Yeah. Well, but, they're, they're right about that, Yeah, too. but that's what they're thinking. It's a bad thing. Yeah. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on either... The young people loving their smartphones, or the older people not being so crazy about, uh, um, excuse me, the young people loving closed captioning, or older people not being crazy about smartphones. Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Good morning, Frank. Uh, the reason I'm calling is to talk about the tipping and the whole mechanism of it. First of all, you know what tip stands for, right? Right, to ensure promptness. Prompt service, right. So, really, in the beginning, tipping was just, you were tipping at a place you were planning to return to, to so that when that waiter or waitress saw you, this guy gives a tip. I'm going to go over and make sure he's taken care of. It wasn't to say thank you for the service you're getting right now. That started later. Then <clears throat> um, I'm curious is the mechanism of the increasing uh, percentage of tip. When I was young, just starting to tip, it was 10%. That was standard. Then it went to 12 and then 15 And the reason it went up is like tip shaming. I'd be at a restaurant and someone, I'd leave 12%. Oh, no, no, it's 15%. you got to leave 15%. I'd go, oh, I do. Oh, okay. So I, I would leave 15%. And it went to 18 Now it's 20 And I started realizing, you know, the waitress at the, at the coffee shop, she works just as hard as the waiter – Right. That well, that's yeah. That's the whole the reservoir restaurant. dogs uh, conversation uh, that we've that we've highlighted before. But um, all right. So, you, how, what do you think about this restaurant going to court, Rick? Oh, I think they're just because the guy's such a jerk. He didn't like you said. You, you know, you gave it a hundred, and you thought it was a ten. That's one thing, and, and yeah, you can understand that. But when someone writes down right. three thousand and then put this was a deliberate like. Yeah. I want to get the praise, and then I'm just going to take it. No, no, he deserves to get taken to court just for being a jerk. Yeah, well, you know? fair enough. Well, we don't we don't take people to court for being a jerk. I mean, maybe maybe we should, but that's not what the legal system. That's why not why the courts exist. You're allowed to be a jerk. Are you allowed to scam someone out of money? No. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Adrian on the Upper West Side. Hello, Adrian. Hi. Um, I just had some comments about the uh, smartphone business. Uh, one thing you didn't really get into was, you know, I don't have a smartphone. I don't have a cell phone because I don't want one. I'm very good with technology. I have a computer. I'm online. I, I, I download different programs myself. I'm very good with technology. I have never 
liked the idea of walking around the street, especially when we're in New York, which is gorgeous. You know, when you look around, you want to look at the people. I don't want to have a phone on me. And if there's an emergency, well, people got along with emergencies before smartphones. I, and as far as younger people being healthier or, or I don't know, these apps making you healthier, look at all the young people. They're overweight. They're hunched over. They have attention spans of gnats from these smartphones. And didn't you have a guest on this week who was talking about the, the smartphones are making kids dumb? The actually, yes, actually two guests so, uh, in two, on two different days. So some of us just don't want them. I'm yeah. just saying no. I don't have to buy it because everybody has it. Well, I don't Adrian, need to be entertained. I, uh, I, uh, I, I definitely see where you're coming from on that. couple of interesting things. One, I actually had a dream that your voice was in the other day. Uh, I meant to tell you that when you when you called again. So so that was Sorry. nice. I, I don't no no no. I like your voice. I don't remember what you were saying. Two, um, you know what what bugs me is that I agree that the culture has become too smartphone dependent. And you know, it used to be if you wanted a GPS for your car, you'd buy one. Then it became that the GPS devices would come with the car. They'd be actually integrated into the system. Now. They don't do that anymore. The last three cars that I've had, the only way that you can have GPS is to hook up your phone through Bluetooth to the car, which I really don't like. I prefer to keep my phone completely off and uh, to just let the let the car GPS do it. But you, they've ma- they're making these cars so that the only way that you can know where you're going uh, is to, you know, have a, a smartphone. Also, a lot of these cars are not coming with AM radios. So if you want to listen to great AM radio programming, like on this station, you have to have a smartphone to, to download the app. So um, I, I hear what you're saying, and I don't think you're, you're wrong, and I, I don't blame you. But there are, a, we, we, there are a lot of uses, a lot of use cases or ca- use cases where um, the culture is becoming sort of like you need a smartphone to get in. That's kind of what prompted the whole discussion is um, airlines, hotels, um, sporting events. They're making it so that you actually have to have a smartphone in order to participate like everybody else. Well, I, you said they. Who's the they? I mean, society, there's some of us that don't want it. It's like that 20% that like cash and checks that uh, Mr. Nader was uh, talking about. Uh, they're very vocal about what they do or don't want. But I just see it. Mo- everyone I know that has a smartphone complains about it. They're either addicted to yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. And they just, I-, I see their memory is weird. I even see with people in my family. I-, I don't know if there's any studies on this or if you've noticed it, but people that are on it in an addictive manner, when they're on it all day long, they have no attention span. They can't remember what they've said or what someone else has said two seconds oh, ago. Oh, you're absolutely right about that, Adrian. Yeah. I, I am not um, defending the ubiquitous use of smartphones. What I am saying is that advocates for older people are concerned that they're not only missing out on health opportunities because of all these health apps, but just regular opportunities for commerce the rest of society is moving in a smartphone direction. It's almost, you know, to go back to the conversation we had with Michelle Caruso Cabrera an hour ago, she was saying how um, there are so many people submitting their DNA that it almost doesn't matter if you don't submit your DNA. That's kind of the if you can't beat them, join them philosophy. 
And I think whether we're talking smartphones or credit cards, uh, as we were with Mr. Nader yesterday, the same situation. Now, before we get to the $1,000 minute, I have to talk about this. Sherry Papini. Have you heard about this? For more than five years, she insisted that in November of 2016, she was abducted by two masked men who held her captive for 22 days. She said they starved her and branded her shoulder with a hot tool. In April, the now 40-year-old mother of two admitted that she staged the whole abduction that prompted a multi-state search. And on Monday... During her sentencing in a federal courtroom in Sacramento, she repented. She said, I'm guilty of lying. I'm guilty of dishonor. I am choosing to humbly accept responsibility. Now, um, this is a serious crime. Making up a kidnapping causes people to pay a lot of money. You know, um, resources are wasted. If you make up your own kidnapping and my, my friend Curtis Lee made up his own kidnapping. My friend Bobby Kumar made up his own kidnapping. So people do it and they do it for different reasons. We have no idea why. Miss Papini did this. We no idea. She pled guilty. To mail fraud and making false statements. The judge. Called her a manipulator. Prosecutors wanted an eight-month sentence. What do you think of an eight-month sentence for her, Matt Blaze? Too much? Too little? Appropriate? Too little. Too little. Kenneth, what do you think? Eight-month sentence for making up your own kidnapping. No, she needs more than that. More than that. Okay. Well, the judge agreed with you. The prosecution, usually the judge, if he's going to, you know, really nail you, He will go with what the prosecutor suggests. The prosecutors only wanted eight months. She didn't get eight months. She got 18 months. 18 months. On top of that, the judges also ordered, excuse me, the judge also ordered Papini to pay $309,000 in restitution to the California Victims Compensation Board and other agencies that investigated this sham kidnapping um this is audio from an interrogation of miss papini and um you can include included in this commentary here is a confession we have everything that says that he said he told the truth the reason why you can describe the room is because you stayed in the room in the dark for hours for days on end the reason why you lost so much weight is because you stopped eating. The reason why your nose was broke is because of a hockey stick. Now, the parts that don't make sense are that you're accusing two females who abducted you when it was James. The part that you were branded, James did it. The DNA that was on you belongs to James Race. We talked to him. We've been on a polygraph. We talked to everybody around him. We have the rental agreements Finally, she seems to break. Talking to other guys that has got me here. 
aspect are you saying? Like, how, how, did, how does talking to other people got you here? Well, you've gotten over it. I love my husband. I love yeah. my husband. I make mistakes and I talk to other men. So she captured national headlines. And by the way, uh, Ms. Papini, if you ever feel the need to use the phone while you're speaking in such a manner as the one that we just played for you, Kenneth will put you right on the air. You have no need to worry about that. Now, Ms. Papini um, captured national headlines on Thanksgiving morning when she was found in 2016 in the middle of a highway in California bound by restraints. She had been missing for 22 days, and she told investigators that two and this, that's the poor portion of the audio that you just heard there. Two Hispanic women had abducted her on November 2nd as she was jogging. She described being physically abused by her captors, forced to use a bucket as a toilet, fed only cream of wheat and maybe rice or tortillas once a day. She said her captors branded her skin using a hot tool after she tried to escape. Then she said... One of her captors put her in a car and dropped her off on a country road. Soon after she was found, her husband repeated portions of the story on national television and denounced any implication that the story was fake. He told Good Morning America, I understand people want the story, pictures, proof that this was not some sort of hoax planned to gain money or some fabricated race war. I do not see a purpose in addressing each preposterous lie. For the next five years, five years, this woman stood by her statements. And she collected regular payments totaling more than $30,000 from the state's Victims Compensation Board, which compensates victims for crime-related expenses. She also received over $127,000 in Social Security disability payments. Meanwhile, law enforcement continued to investigate because they wanted to find the kidnappers. In August of 2020, investigators questioned her. That's what you just heard. After finding evidence that she had not been kidnapped in 2016, but was staying with her ex-boyfriend at his residence only about 600 miles south of where she lived. They discovered that the DNA on the clothes she was wearing when she was found matched that of the ex-boyfriend. The ex-boyfriend told investigators that he helped Papini run away after she told him she was being abused by her husband. He said he picked her up and drove her to his home. Doesn't this sound a lot like the plot of Gone Girl, right? He said he picked her up, drove her to his home where Papini ate very little and had him help to brand her right shoulder with a wood-burning tool. Prosecutors say Papini's fake kidnapping was very carefully concocted. Plans being laid nearly a year before her disappearance when she started communicating with the ex-boyfriend on, see, we love going full circle, burner phones. Prosecutors wrote in the sentencing memo that the ex-boyfriend seems to have unknowingly assisted in the kidnapping hoax. There were no domestic violence reports ever filed against the husband. And shortly after Papini was charged, the husband petitioned for divorce and sought custody of their children. It seems to me that the husband 
was not in on this, that he was duped and believed his wife. So she was arrested in March, pled guilty in April, and her lawyer at the time said he didn't know why she did it. Though in a recent court filing, he wrote that she left her family, quote, in pursuit of a nonsensical family, excuse me, nonsensical fantasy. And after she returned to her family, the lawyer said each lie demanded another lie. I have to tell you, uh, of course, she should have to pay back every dollar that was spent on her search and certainly every dollar that she was compensated for. And then some. I do not see the value in keeping this woman in prison for 18 months. I think the sentence that the prosecutors asked for, eight months, sufficient. Um, Look, prison is, I, I get that it's punitive. My view is that prison should really be a place for preventing people for from hurting someone else. This woman, to me, clearly has very serious psychological issues. Those issues are not going to be helped by serving another 10 months in prison more than what the prosecutors were asking for. Instead, the taxpayers of the state of California are going to have to pay to house and feed this woman for 10 months. Instead, if they let her go out, if they were to fine her like crazy um, and let her go out and earn, the taxpayers could be paid back more quickly for their, you know, loss that they incurred looking for her. I really don't see the value in keeping this woman in prison for 18 months. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. I know we're late getting to the $1,000 minute, but um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, Terry's in Bayside. Hello, Terry. All right. We're not taking the... See, how is it, Kenneth, that I can tell within one breath that that's Steve in Manhattan? And he can fool you. How is that possible? Because you're a seasoned vet. I, I guess that's what it is. I, I guess said the that's same what it thing. Is. I heard that click. I'm like, Steve. That's it. That's it. Come on. Come on. All right. Hey, um, <laughs> you want to comment on this, you can. 800-848-9222. But if you just want to try to win $1,000, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Seventh caller to 800-848-9222. Just let Kenneth know if you're calling to comment on the kidnapping story or if you're calling because you want to be the um, you want to play the $1,000 minute. The way this works, if you're a new listener, you're going to have to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you can do that, we're going to send you $1,000. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm -hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Frank Morano. 
Castaways. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It is time for us to play The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Let us say hello to Arnold in Brooklyn. Hello, Arnold. Good morning, Frank. Morning, Arnold. You're familiar with this game? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, so you know the rules. We'll get started if you're ready. Ready. What is something that you hold money in? Wallet. What animal does beef come from? Cow. Who is the only child of Bill and Hillary Clinton? Chelsea. Which artist is famous for pop art? I can't think of it. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> no, come on. Think. An artist. Famous for at least 15 minutes. No, he was, he was stuffed all for million, millions of dollars for years, but I can't remember his name. Think of Campbell's Soup Cans. Campbell's Soup. Robinson Campbell's Soup. Oh, my goodness. I'm, no, I'm cooked. Uh, all right. It's Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. Yeah. All right, okay. Arnold. I'm sorry you didn't win. You seem like a, a great guy. I'm sorry about that. Okay, it's already signed to you. Have a great day. Arnold, uh, stay on hold. Give your information to Kenneth. We'll send you a consolation prize of some sort, okay? Okay, thank you. All right, thank you. If you want to uh, comment on any of the other issues that we've covered today, you can do so, 800-848-9222. Uh, you know, a lot of people really were into this um, Adnan Syed case, which is the serial podcast. And they actually came out with a special edition of Serial in light of the fact that his conviction was overturned. And I think it's certainly the appropriate um, the appropriate decision to give him a new trial. But, um, well, I don't know if they're going to give him a new trial. But it, it, since it was the Baltimore State's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, who's going to have to make a decision on that. Uh, I don't know that I mentioned this yesterday. Mosby herself is under indictment, the state's attorney there. She said the prosecutors messed up 20 years ago, and she asked the judge to overturn his conviction. This is I didn't realize until I did a little more reading on the case, and shame on me, it wasn't even at the request of his defense attorneys. It was the prosecutor. So, I mean, this is wild. Such an odd case from top to bottom. But uh, if you have been following it, they uh, they do have a new episode of this podcast out if you're into it. So, Or even if you're not and you just want to hear kind of a, a summary of why Adnan Syed is being – why his conviction is being overturned, you can uh, you can do so. All right, 800-848-9222. Rob is on Staten Island. Hello, Rob. Hello, sir. Hi. I just want to – can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I, I can't agree with you more regarding the case with this woman. Eight months is – is more than enough. What you said it is right on target. 
And the last thing I want to say is you cracked me up the other day about the hoarding story because I have the same exact wife. I come home, I find things in the garbage that are like perfect, brand new, phone charges. Oh, it was in my car. Just throws it out. But anyway, I new fan of your show. You have a great day. Oh, thanks, Thank Rob. You. If our wives throw us out, maybe we can room together. <laughs> you have a nice day. Thanks, Bye-bye. Rob. You too. Appreciate it. That's a nice fellow there. Okay. Um, always looking for new fans, right? Especially in uh, my home, uh, my home borough. All right. Uh, looking forward. To, see, I have to run out of here after the show because the UN is in town, and there's all these street closures. And it's funny; they just randomly throw up um, cones to block various streets. I I had to dodge around the cones yesterday. I'm pretty su- sure I broke several traffic laws yesterday dodging these cones. And I didn't look back to see if the cops were chasing me. I just kept going. It was really it's it's tough. I made it made it home. So it's it's an adventure. Parking's an adventure. Getting home's an adventure. So we'll see how how today goes. I am hoping uh, one. I'm hoping my own cold goes away. But more so than that, I'm hoping I'm hoping my son Carmine's first cold goes away. Um, I feel so bad for him because I could see. You know, he doesn't know what a cold is. He just knows that he's uncomfortable. And we were trying to, I was trying to feed him yesterday. And he was having such a tough time because he couldn't breathe. Because his, um, his uh, nasal passages were, were clogged with mucus. So, um, and you could hear him struggling to breathe. I just felt so bad for him. I wish I could make him understand, you know, that it's only temporary and he'll get through it. And then he doesn't like, we have this device I don't know what the formal name for it is called, but it's it's a device that you squeeze one end and then you put the other end in your child's nose and it sucks the mucus out of his nose. And so, as you might imagine, Carmine doesn't like this at all. He doesn't like this at all. So he, and he's, he's strong for a 10-month-old. He would use his hands to... Keep my wife from, my wife calls it the snot sucker 3000, even though that's not the proper name. He would use his hands to block the snot sucker from going into his nose. So I would have to restrain him and hold his hands down at, while um, my wife would stick this plastic device up his nose and remove the mucus. And I'm trying to explain to him, Cameron, you're going to feel better. You'll feel better. But it was... Uh, it was it was tough. He didn't want to do it, and did not nap very well at all yesterday. So uh, we'll see we'll see where that goes today. I'm hoping he is feeling better, um, and then uh, and then we'll see. My sister's going to watch him today because uh, Rachel and I are going to this wedding out in Tom's River, and uh, hopefully he doesn't give her too much of a hard time because he's been cranky with this cold. So hopefully he got a good night's sleep and is feeling better. All right, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame coming up in uh, just a minute. You can be heard on any subject you want for 15 seconds. That's 800-848-9222. If you want to email me, you can do so at uh, 800-848, excuse me, you can do so at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. We also encourage you to join the Facebook group. Uh, Just search on Facebook, Morano, that's M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters. That's Morano Radio Fans and Haters. We'll do 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. Other side of midnight. 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 Midnight
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. Um, you know, I am hoping to get rid of this cold, not only because it's uncomfortable, but um, uh, tomorrow night, Thursday night, I'm supposed to be in this charity softball game that uh, Sid Rosenberg is organizing. Now, when I saw Sid and his wife at the baseball game last Sunday, this Sunday, last Sunday, um. Sid runs over to me and says, uh, yeah, you know, my wife, Danielle, she doesn't really believe that you're a good first baseman. And I said, well, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let my performance on the field speak for itself. And people can draw, you know, their own conclusions, good, bad, average. And uh, and then the wife, Danielle, who's very who's very charming and, and you know, everything Sid says about her is, is true. But Danielle starts basically taunting me. About how I'm not a good player. She's never seen me play in her life. And so um, now um, my concern is this, that now if I have this head cold, which I'm hoping it'll be over by then, that might affect my playing tomorrow. And meanwhile, Danielle's going to think I'm not playing well because I'm not a good player. When in actuality, it's because I can't breathe through my nose. It stinks in here. We'll see where that goes. Hey, uh, Larry in Long Island has been waiting a while to make a comment about Aaron Judge. So let me get to him before we do 15 seconds of fame. Hello, Larry. Hey, Frank. Thanks. Two quick comments. Originally, it was Aaron Judge. But I have to just make a comment about something you talked about before. You're going to a wedding tonight on a Wednesday night. For 40 years, I was a club date weekend musician. I played thousands of parties. I never in my life did a Wednesday night gig. As a matter of fact, most musicians in my position, including guests, hated going to a party on a Sunday night. All they could think about was, I got to be up, I got to go to work in what, six, seven hours? Now, Aaron Judge. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I first th- of all, I will say, Larry, I, I think, you know, uh, you know, it's even tougher. It's tough when you have to be up the next morning. It's even tougher when you have to go to work right after the wedding 
that night. So, I Absolutely. mean, it's, you know, it, the, the, this is what happens. But the, the, this is a wedding in the um, Orthodox Jewish community. They do things a bit differently. I would convert I, immediately. I'm Jewish. I would convert. <laughs> uh, real quick, Aaron Judge. And listen, he's a class guy. I'm a Mets fan. But going after the home run record, I keep I can't get it out of my mind. An episode of the Munsters where Herman tries out for the L.A. Dodgers with Leo DeRocha there. I can't get it out of my mind. What? Why? Well, I mean, I, I don't remember that episode. I've seen Aaron the... Judge. Aaron Judge is like seven foot. Four. Oh, well, sure. Yeah, he's tall. He's a big guy. He's this big guy. He can hit the ball 800 feet. I mean, it doesn't do it for me. Did Leo DeRocha play himself in that episode? Yes. He did. He played himself. Oh, that's cool. I got to go back and see that. That's really neat. You got to see it. I'm a big it fan a of the Munsters, and uh, I'm, I'm, I know they're coming back now with a Rob Zombie incarnation, which looks it looks a little weird, but it looks pretty good. I'll probably see it. All right, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. 800-848-9222. My friend Nick sending me an SMS text message. Did I check Carmine for COVID? No, because, again, as I've said, I think we're over-testing for COVID if he has COVID or if he doesn't have COVID, we're going to treat him exactly the same, right? We're going to um, we're still going to feed him, right? We're still going to change him. We're still going to remove the mucus from his nose, and he doesn't have a cough or anything except for that fake cough that he does for entertainment purposes. But um, I don't know why we would check him for COVID. I'm not sure what that would would what that would tell us in terms of uh, his proper course of treatment. So. Um, and so, so far, the only thing he has seems to have is because a stuffed nose and a little bit of a sneeze. And I don't think sneezing is a COVID symptom. Uh, 800-848-9222. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mike in Montclair. Morning, Frank. Frank, with pitch counts the rule in baseball, we may never see a no-hitter or a perfect game again. Quite sad. Max Scherzer found that out, huh? Mike and Lake George. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Uh, you got me laughing. I, I, I'm good at imitations, too, but with Sydney, you were right on talking. And uh, there's nothing like New York baseball. You were talking about a long time Mets fan. Maybe it's deja vu all over again. Uh, yeah, let's go Mets and let's go Yankees and Judge and line drives at Sydney's tournament all day long, Frank. Line drives. Victor in Manhattan. Uh, two stories that have fallen off the cliff are, one, who leaked the Supreme Court decision of the reversal of Roe versus Wade? And two, what are, what are the consequences of Jesse Smollett's kidnapping hoax? Roger in Massachusetts. You know, your 3 o'clock segment uh, was pretty scary about voter registration. In June 2020, we got our census participation flyer in the mail. Page two was voter registration information. Charles in Queens. Yeah, I'm assuming that you're involved in the $1,000 minute questions. Now, being that you're self-deprecating, I'm guessing that you think questions that are easy are not easy. Because there aren't many uh, Frank Moranos or Bernie McGurks in the audience. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Bob in Queens. Yes, now the time has come for people like uh, Giuliani and Mike Lindell and all those others who claim voter fraud. Their time is coming, and it's about time. Tony in Lakewood. Hey, man, 18 months is good enough, but uh, eight months sounds better. Joe in New Jersey. 
Hey, whoever said before, he said, for all the Jews, check out H.com or Ura.org, O-O-R-A-H.org or A-I-S-H.com. You'll find out more about all the things. Jews used to get married on Wednesday specifically. And finally, Terry in Farmingdale. Good morning, Franks. The new queen they installed is actually a biological male. On that promissory note, Frank Morano, good day. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.